This is the joy of gaming. Welcome to the Joy of Gaming Podcast, episode 64. I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseka. And it is the 64th episode, Jordan. Uh, you and I know what that means, but maybe you want to tell the <laughs> listeners. Uh, so, as we were recording the last one, I realized what episode number that was, which was 63. And, what, and 63 uh, comes before 64. It does. That is how numbers work. Right, right. Uh, but I just had the idea, since it is the 64th episode, why not look at the Nintendo 64? All right. Especially with especially with all the renewed interest in, I mean, all all of the Nintendo consoles are always you know something people talk about. But with the NES Classic and now the SNES Classic, you know, which hopefully I'll be able to get one because it looks sweet. Um, and now the N sixty four, people are like they're going to do that next. And so uh, it's definitely an interesting thing to talk about. And it's one of those weird systems. It's just weird. Everything about the N sixty four is weird. But revolutionary. Oh, of course, of course. It it kind of single handedly brought in the three D platformer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and and other things. It obviously Ocarina of Time. Are you kidding me? Um. So there's there's a lot to talk about there, and uh, we're gonna break that down and talk about that. Uh. It, you know, in general, what what was great about the N sixty four, what was revolutionary about it, but also its significance in our lives. Sure, and and you know, I had one writer. Actually, I couldn't even say off. Off. Certainly, I was that young at the time. If it was right when it came out, but definitely near when it came out. Yeah. So it, it'll be it'll be fun to talk about. Anyway, before we get to that, we are going to be talking about the games we've been playing, as well as news. We usually start off with news, and I have uh, quite a few good stories for us today. Uh, and I know you had a couple as well. So I guess without any further ado, um, let's dive into that. Uh, why, don't, why don't you kick us off with that one that just happened today? Uh, well, not the the biggest thing ever, and not really a surprise given that the past two games have gotten the same treatment, uh, but Atlas announced today Persona 5 The Animation, which will be an animated television series in Japan first and theoretically come over here. Uh, probably will given how successful Persona 5 has been. Um, but, yeah, it's just an animated retelling of the video game. Nice, nice. Um, how in-depth do those get? Do you know? Did you ever check out 3 and 4? Uh, I didn't check out three, but I watched Persona Four, the animation, and I mean it covers the whole story. It usually, or well, usually there's been one. One right. Persona Three did the movies, and that was kind of a weird sequel thing. Okay. Uh, but Persona Four did a good job of covering everything in the story, and then giving individual episodes. Or it, it specifically had one episode that was dedicated to all of the sort of side missions you could do in the game, but weren't oh, okay. necessarily required to do. Um. And, uh, yeah, I, I know that was successful. I mean, it, it did well enough that they did Persona 4, the golden animation, a few years after that when they had all the new story elements from the Vita version. Uh, so, wait, was it a completely new anime, like front to back? Uh, yeah, it was new animation house, all that. That's insane. That is truly insane. Speaking of anime, this is a little off subject, but have you heard of the, like, Fate Stay Night anime? 
I know the name. Yeah, well, you know the name because people just will not just shut up about it. And there's been a lot of articles recently, like how do you get into anime? I've noticed a couple of those on Kotaku and Polygon. Um, they each of those places usually has you know one or two like you know diehard anime fans. And I'm always trying. I know you had an era when you were younger that you were able to get into it pretty heavy, right? Yeah. For me though, never. It's never happened. I don't think I've gotten through except for watching Death Note with you because that's kind of seminal and necessary. Um, you know, the, I, I really never gotten through one ever. And so I always try, you know, I try things like, um, psychopaths. I've tried things like attack on Titan. I get like two episodes in and then I give up for, for watching other things, but fate stay night, which was originally a, a visual novel, um, in Japan and, and manga, um, has a bunch of different series and people just talk about them in these reverent hushed tones of just how brilliant they are. And they're like, they're kind of like the Shakespearean tragedy of anime. So I, I don't know how, how encouraging it is that they sound so tragic, but, um, I definitely want to check those out and all i hear about is fate stay night fate stay night so maybe that'll be my next dive yeah i mean you never know it's 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 true um and uh, what was the other story you were just telling me uh when we were prepping uh so the metroid samus returns at e3 announced uh a couple of uh, not exclusive but uh new amiibos going along with that game one of samus one of a metroid with sort of a uh silicon headpiece so that it's kind of a squishy model squishy metroid i'm so into it so are, um, you, are you bummed out about the, the the corollary news to this does that bother you no not really i mean i so basically the news in question is that the um certain all four of the metroid amiibos that currently exist will unlock different things um but the, the smash brothers ones just kind of unlock an additional missile tank or energy tank uh, the big thing with Fusion, uh, or the big thing with the Metroid one is that it unlocks the Fusion difficulty, which gives you the Fusion suit from uh, Metroid Fusion and makes the game, it's kind of the hardest difficulty in the game, but you have to get the Amiibo to play that difficulty. So, I mean, I, I plan on getting those Amiibos anyway. I want the extra tanks. Uh, I don't I don't generally play games on the harder difficulty, so for me it's not as big of a deal. Or is that, or is that Fusion mode going to be like, I don't know, different than just harder. No, I well, I think it'll mainly be just harder. But to me, I I get what they're doing with the Amiibos, and I think they, however critical you are of it, they're selling like crazy, so yeah. I don't think it matters how critical people are of it. <laughs> people uh, vote with their dollars, and they're voting yes for Amiibos in a huge way. But I, I think these are particularly cool ones, so I'll definitely, I mean, if nothing else, I'll get the Metroid one, because I like idea of unlocking that stuff but i I think that's the coolest one um and then it has a it has a broken text test tube next to it it's super sweet yeah uh as far as the difficulty i don't know that i will play on it i might but i I just like it from a narrative point of view that it's actually a difficulty mode informed by the narrative of metroid so that's kind of a cool deal with it okay um because the whole point of fusion was that after Samus killed all the Metroids, the X, which were sort of their food source, overtook the planet, and then mm-hmm. she got infected by, um, by them. Uh, I forget the exact specifics, but basically, you know, they were the food source. So by wearing the fusion suit, which was her fused with an X, uh, she is more vulnerable to the Metroids, which can now feed on her much more easily. Ah, so they have a story reason why it's more difficult. Yeah, that's clever. That's 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 a step as simple as it seems like that is. It is a step further than almost any hard mode ever does. Um, so I'm I'm interested in that. I'm definitely picking up that game. Oh so God, I'll... yes, that game looks amazing, isn't it? Like later this month or or, or just into August. 
It's uh, September. Oh, is it early September at least? Mid September. All right. Well, at least it's not late September. Um, what month is that? Uh, this is totally different. But what month is the remake of Yakuza One coming out? Uh, last day of August or so. Okay. Well, at least that's August. I am dying to play that. <laughs> I mean, dying. I have, a, I think I've said this before, but I have the PS2 copy sitting here, and I look at it constantly, and I'm like, ooh, I want to play it. Now, finally, I'll have, like, a way to legit play it without hooking up a PS2 and struggling through, you know, archaic, mm-hmm. archaic gameplay at this point and, and rough graphics. All right. Um, well, speaking of a long time to wait for things, um, everybody knew this was going to happen, but Red Dead Redemption is delayed to 2018. Are you surprised? Was it not already there? <laughs> I thought I've paid so little attention to be honest to Red was, Dead Two. I, I think my understanding was it was going to be late, um, late this year, um, was what they announced, and then I guess it got pushed to 2018. Um, I don't know. I just it's, saw. A story I, I don't know. To me, it's just not a huge surprise. It's one of those things where it sort of felt like a foregone conclusion when they announced it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, it's it, like expecting Kingdom Hearts Three to actually come out next year. That would be yeah. That you're 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 setting yourself up for some serious uh, disappointment because that's almost definitely not happening. Um, okay, another uh, weird thing that excuse me that wasn't weird. This is weird. Um, MGS Five: The Phantom Pain. Yes, that's right. The game that came out in I think 2016 um, is getting another DLC update. This one uh, adds Revolver Ocelot as somebody you can send on, I guess they're called away team missions or something like that. Um, and then it also like fixes issues with the wormhole generator tool or item. You played some of that game. How was it? Um, I, it's actually, I mean, it's really solid. Um, it's, 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 um, I don't know, I felt it was overly long mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and a little repetitive, but it, it's very solid gameplay and I know it has its fans. It actually came out September of 2015. Oh my goodness! So that makes it even more impressive. So the thing about that game that 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 really you know messes with me is, you, one of my favorites, if not my favorite, in the Metal Gear series is four. I love, love, love four. Although that's you know most people, I think yours is two, right? Yeah. A lot of people say three. Some people say one. Uh, I love four. I think as a cinematic storytelling experience, which is kind of what those games are i mean it's stealth gameplay sure but the cinematics and the story are are so essential to it and at that point you know it was on the ps3 and it could really shine in that department um but when five uh, when five came out it just seemed like because of the fact that it was much more focused on delivering amazing gameplay that the story took second spot and it's got sort of that open world far cry-ish you know, uh, go into these different camps or outposts and, and, you know, take them over or rescue the prisoners or whatever the mini objective is. And, you know, at a certain juncture or certain, there were like, you know, 60 missions or a hundred, whatever it was. And then at a certain mission point, you would, you know, the story would progress. Is that how it was? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel it is, or at least from what I've heard, it's fairly unfinished in as far as how involved Kojima actually was. That's the other problem is there wasn't really a, a you know a, a finality to the story. And when I first saw that MGS Five was getting an update, I was like, great! All they need is probably like one or two more cutscenes to like give people the closure they need. Um, over in the TV world, Sense Eight, you know, got canceled after season two, and there was you know a crazy uproar. There aren't a lot of shows that do what that show does, and it really supports a fan base that doesn't get you know nearly well supported enough. And so there was just this this outcry, and then finally 
after all they, they still can't justify a season three but because it didn't really have an ending they're giving it a season uh three like mini movie right a two-hour movie mm-hmm. and and that's great like to me it's like at least that same thing with deadwood like they need milch and them they need to like stop working on true detective season three and like get that movie out because an ending is important it, when you have two seasons or a huge long you know 50 60 hour game and it doesn't have an ending it's just very intimidating to people going back and you know when you look at a game like being remembered or or you know having just just being able to be complete it's, it's just really important i feel like yeah um i i don't know i'm not the most invested in metal gear solid so right uh, it's always a case of, eh, but I, it is a bummer that it doesn't end in a satisfying way. Although, who knows? Maybe Metal Gear Survive will wrap everything up. Oh, of course, of course. That's do we do? Is that been delayed? When's that coming out? Do we know? Uh, I, I think it's next year. Because things went dark on that. I thought it was supposed to be this year. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it got delayed at E3. Okay. All right. Well, um, that looks it looks interesting to say the least. And um, yeah, early next year. Okay, you just looked it up. Nice. All right. Um, next up, this is a story that you texted me about, and I had just seen it a little earlier that day. I don't know what to make of it. Um, why don't you tell it? I honestly don't remember. Oh it off no! The top of my head. Oh no! Final Fantasy fifteen, man. Oh, the DLC. Uh, they're doing a co-op mode. Multiplayer, I, kind of. There's not a whole lot of details. A beta is launching, I think, this week. Right. Uh, it's a co-op mode where you can create your own avatar and bounty hunt <laughs> yeah wear a gas know. station attendant t-shirts i i don't know that's it's it's I, I don't even know what to make of it i guess they just want to support that game for as long as they can because they spent 10 years making it it seems like i mean it's the same yeah. as final fantasy 13 i would assume they keep i think it's the opposite of that where they just kept making sequels this one maybe they're <laughs> just going to keep supporting it well i yeah i mean Judging by that third, that second sequel to Final Fantasy Thirteen, what was it, Thirteen Three or Lightning Returns or some nonsense? Light, Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Uh, that that game was wow. When I, I watched you play it somewhat, and when I saw Snow hanging out in that like place where everybody was like waiting for the end of the world and like drinking and boozing, and it was just like none of the characters were characterized the way they were in the original game, and everything was just completely whack, like alternate reality whack. I was just like, this jumped the shark so long ago. Well, you know, that game has its defenders, but I'm not Returns. Yeah. Wow, because I know that you love two, maybe even better than one. Definitely better than one. Well, that's crazy. As ridiculous as the story is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got good gameplay, I agree, and it, and it has Pokemon mechanics, so there you go. All right, Um. so this is a weird one. Capcom calls Ultra Street Fighter Two the final challengers for the Nintendo Switch, quote, a smash hit. Um. This is the... <laughs> final release probably of a street fighter 2 game now i just kidding that'll never that'll never be a final release of that game it's so it's so redone and repackaged but this one is has this weird like first person shooter mode where you're ryu and like you you throw hadoukens like forward (laughs) into the screen or some shit but anyway like i never ever hear anybody not anyone ever talking about that game never once and all the gamers i talk to all the websites i read never until i see this story that it's supposedly a smash hit so yes i understand that like there's there's a small number of games out for switch right now and people are starving for content i get that but come on like there's no way this anyway I just thought that was an interesting one. I mean, 
to me, I would assume it's not that much to have produced that, sure. and it's digital only, I believe. No, no, there's there's game. There's, there's a physical copy. Yeah, okay. there is. Um, I don't know. People love Street Fighter. They do. I don't think they would have had to sell that many to the very game-starved audience of a Switch to call it a smash hit. Right. And what's your metric? You know, it could be based on per number of systems out there. It's true. It's true. Um, And, you know, I know that Binding of Isaac has done phenomenally well. Even Cave Story Plus is getting, like, a resurgence due to just the fact that there are so many people that are dying to play games on their Switch, like you said. So, all right. Um, So here's another one. Um, Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, which is a game I know you're very excited about, is has now has a DLC um, season pass announced um the overall season pass is called the freedom chronicles it costs 25 dollars, and it includes three parts and then there's also an episode zero that comes out first um so basically the freedom chronicles is three different stories um one of them the first one is the first dlc is called the adventures of gunslinger joe and it stars a former professional quarterback his name is joseph stallion um the second one is called the diaries of agent silent death and then you and you'll be quote infiltrating Nazi bunkers in California and discovering the secrets of Operation San Andreas. That one to me sounds amazing, by the way. And then the third one, you play an ex OSS agent Jessica Valiant. Um, it's called The Amazing Deeds of Captain Wilkins, and it will task you with dismantling a Nazi operation in Alaska. Um, so that seems interesting. Um, and let's see here. Um, yeah, and then the the, uh, the Episode Zero intro will be an intro to each of those three characters, and so you'll get to know a little bit about them for free, and then if you choose to buy the DLC, um, you'll get to watch slash play through those adventures. Sounds cool. Well, that's cool. They're really yeah. building out that world for that game. I mean, I think that really was one of the at least top ten highlights from, from E3, you know, just, just in general. And the big reason was, I think, that that, that that story trailer and just the cinematics and, and that world that they're building is so rich. And it's so funny that it's so, like, dramatic and intense and awesome and also funny and humorous, but you know, as much as it can be about, you know, the Nazis having won. Um, but it's got, like, a really interesting tone, what with the milkshake thing, you know, the Nazi officer comes in and asks for a milkshake and he's so light, even though you know he's such a horrific monster in, in his acts and deeds. Um, but it, it's really a, a, the world building that, that, that sets that game apart and uh, has made people really excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I liked the first one a lot, having played it uh, last month, finally, and I'm really looking forward to the sequel. DLC is always tricky. I probably won't buy the season pass. I just know that I won't. Yeah. Um, I might end up playing it when it goes on sale a year after the game comes out, yeah. but um, I, I, it's good. they're going to be shorter. They're going to be self-contained, it sounds like, so... Uh, I'm glad there's more in that universe, but it won't be something I jump on right away. Yeah. Well, the one thing that's weird about, and something that I kind of fell off of Wolfenstein um, 1 on, was because, the New Order, is because I had, I had come from, did you play that Wolfenstein game for 360 that was, like, really good? Do you remember that one? That, the reboot? No. It was, it was like, you're in a hub area. You know the one I'm talking about, don't you? Hold on, let me, let me see here. It's, it's, it's the Wolfenstein game that came before, uh, the New Order. Let's see here. It's, uh, I think it's just... I vaguely remember it. I think it's just called Wolfenstein. Uh, let's see here. One second. Um, it is Wolfenstein, let's see, series. Okay, this will tell me. All right. Um, 2009. I mean, I know it well enough that when you say hub area, I remember thinking that's what this was before I started playing it. So, yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember that game. 
Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it came out in 09. It was a Raven game, um, and it was actually awesome. But one of the big things about it was that you had a ton of upgrading you could do, and you were constantly finding items that would upgrade, you know, your ammo capacity and your abilities and all this cool stuff. All the weapons were heavily upgradable. So I loved that. And when I got to the new order, it has upgrades, but they didn't feel significant. Does that change as you go in? Not really. That's not what you play the game for, like a like a like a, a compelling progression system. No, there's not really a compelling progression system. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, you, you get a few new toys along the way, but yeah, nothing that you're upgrading a lot. Yeah, I remember it just being little little things that are like you know maybe something's a little quicker, maybe your sprint speed or something, just very minor tweaks to the way your game the gameplay works. So. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Um. Hey, Pikmin came out. And I don't know that I'm surprised about this, but the reviews are not good. People are not happy with it. They say it's too easy um, in general. That is, I'm sure there are a couple people that liked it. Uh, I think I saw a couple 80s out there, but generally speaking, we're talking 50s and 60s. Um, and basically, it's just you know a game that doesn't have the challenge. It doesn't have the you know you're controlling 200 Pikmin out you know in a world, and that's kind of what people were looking for. And then you know certain people that you know I respect a lot, um, uh, like. Um, Totillo and, and Kohler from Kotaku were talking about it. Uh, they had like this sort of, you know, sometimes they do reviews on that site, you know, where Kohler says something and then, t- you know, Totillo says something and it's like a back and forth talking about a game um, in written form. And mm-hmm. they, they did it for that game. And basically the idea was, I you know, this idea would have been fine if they executed it in a creative way. But as it, as it turns out, it's basically just going through the motions. It's side-scrolling and it just doesn't have any really compelling new ideas. Hmm. So. That's a bummer. I know. Uh, I wanted to play it. I mean, honestly, I haven't played a Pikmin game probably, I think, since Pikmin 2. So it's been it's been a bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I Honestly, it being a little easier probably wouldn't be a big deal to me just because RTS games I'm, are not my favorite. And yeah, I'm not the either. best at them. Um so I probably wouldn't mind that, but it, the the side scrolling is probably the bigger issue if it's if it's a different gameplay style entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a bummer. Yeah. But anyway, on the other side of things, Pyre released two rave reviews, and actually I think definitely higher reviews than their previous title. So this this is the company that brought us Bastion, which is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, speaking of leveling up weapons and equipment, um, that game does it as well as any game ever has. It's really, really fun. If you haven't played Bastion, I, I think there's like a re-release or a remaster that came out that's just phenomenal. But that is a great game. It's kind of like a Metroidvania, but it's from a you know a isometric overhead pr- perspective. It's got a narrator, and so like you break a box, and the narrator says, the player broke the box as he walked along. It's really cool. So then they made a second game called Transistor, and that game was interesting story-wise, and I bought it like day one, but it had really weird mechanics that I could never really get into. Did you try that one? Um, not really. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I uh, I, I just couldn't get into Transistor. So apparently, a lot of people bounced off it in the same way I did. Well, now Pyre... It, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it is one... I, I, I didn't have a PS4. Uh, I think it also came out on PC, but I don't play things on PC. Oh, that was what it uh, was. Yeah, it was an early PS4 uh, game. But it is one I actually... It's on my short list of games to try now. Cool, cool. Um, and then, and then Pyre is really weird. So this is a company that has, 
you know, resolved that they're always going to do things a different way. I mean, there's certain consistencies. Like, they have this really nice hand-drawn art style. They all have original soundtracks from, like, local musicians they know. They all use, like, similar voice actors in, like, this community that is part of their, their studio. But this one is, like, an esports thing. Have you heard about this? It's, like, it, you, you go through the story and you make, like, meaningful decisions, like, dialogue tree decisions and what you're going to do in the story. And then you get to have this event. And it's a three-on-three kind of like soccer rugby match and you have to mm. like throw a ball into quote a pyre and then it like erupts and, and it's supposedly really fun and satisfying in a really cool way so i'm really excited for that game it looks interesting that's odd um i i know very little about it so i'd have to look up more uh i like bastion yeah bastion's <laughs> I mean, great I, bastion's a masterpiece um so I would I would uh, like to try Transistor, and I might try this one out as well, assuming it's getting good reviews. It sure is. It really is. And for, I just love that they're taking chances. That's why I wanted to mention it. Um, so one thing that's an interesting trend, and I won't spend too much time on this because we don't generally play either of these games, but um, early access, you know, especially for PC gamers, but also on, on consoles, it's become much more of a thing uh, as of late. Um, I don't play on PC really ever, um, and so... It's sort of a, a whole Steam thing that I'm not that privy to. Um, it's, I've seen it creep up on the Xbox One, you know, with things like um, Ark, uh, whatever, that Ark Survival Evolved game and and um, things like that. And so I always see it there. Well, obviously everybody knows that Player Unknown Battlegrounds is still in early access, but that game is like the most top-selling, only thing anybody ever wants to talk about on every podcast I listen to game. It's a freaking smash. Um, it's, a yeah. it's a battle royale style game well it just hit five million downloads for an early access game and i believe it's forty dollars um and it's uh it's just that that game continues to be a phenomenon and in addition to that um fortnite which is an is that epic fortnite i think it's epic mm, I, it's either epic or yeah what? no it's epic because yeah. lawbreakers is cliffy it, b's game. right 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 um and so it's the new epic game and i, I, I guess based on some of some of that you know their their name recognition or maybe they got people excited with it they did an interesting thing with this game where they basically had an open beta not excuse me a closed beta for like two years while they were making the game um but anyway it is out in early access as of i think last week and over five hundred thousand people have purchased it and what's really fascinating about this is it's a free-to-play game and when it launches next year it will be free to play so for half a million people just to buy the early access to a game that will inevitably not cost anything to play uh, is really interesting. And, yeah, they're giving you, you know, early adopter bonuses and founders pack stuff and, and, and things like that. But I just think that this early access thing is, is really blown up. Is that something you ever consider, you know, dipping your toe into early access? I mean, I've played a few early access games, yeah. Was, uh, was for... Crypt? to the Necrodancer, I bought Early Access. I mean, Early Access has been huge for years. I think this is a, a big example of it, but it's something that's just kind of a standard now, especially through Steam and other things that have really pushed it forward. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, it's not... I don't know. To me, it's not a huge surprise people would buy something that's going to be free next year. I mean, we all we buy video games all the time that are going to be like it's 10 true. 20 bucks next year. It's true. So. I paid like 45 for... Um... Uh, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, <laughs> and that's like three ninety nine now. So yeah, so it's the sort of thing where it's not a hugely surprising uh, thing, but it is cool for them. I'm sure they're happy with. Oh them. God, yes. Um, they're 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 an interesting company that I you know I I always tell the story. We're 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 based here in Raleigh, North Carolina, but 
I was outside of a Target one day. I think you were there, Jordan. And um, this dude rolls up and he's wearing a uh, Paragon shirt. And that's like their their MMO, excuse me, not MMO. Um, it's like a, a MOBA type game that they made, I think. If people are listening and, and I'm totally wrong on that, I apologize. But anyway, it's this game that kind of is under the radar, but yet apparently people are playing it. I don't know. Um, but this dude walks out. And, and so if, if, for those of you that don't know, Epic Games is located in, in, in either Cary or Raleigh. I think it's Cary. And um, this I, this guy had the shirt on, and I was just like, yeah, man, Paragon, do you work over at Epic? I talk to everybody. It's just how I am. And uh, this guy's like, yeah, man, you play it? And I was like, no. No, I don't. Sorry, man. I don't mean to burst your bubble. And he's like, oh, okay, man, that's cool, that's cool. And then, like, I was like, so how's it doing? He's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's doing good. You know, you could tell there was just, like, hesitation <laughs> in his voice. Um, but um, but it's 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 interesting. He was just so eager for me to, like, tell him that I played and love it. I felt a little bad, but it seems like they have a hit on their hands oh, with Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. Um, speaking of uh, uh, unmitigated disasters, I'm just kidding. Epic is not that. But this apparently was. Um, Pokemon Go had a their first uh, big event, and it was apparently a, a, big, uh, a big mess. Is that right? Yeah, just a lot of connectivity issues for the people there um, and not really being able to play the game in an event where they specifically went to play the game. Yeah. And what could you get if you did play this this big event? It was bonuses to, you know, catch raid and power and, you know, it was sort of like a lead into them uh, releasing the first legendaries to the game and uh I know they 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 gave a bunch of free stuff to the people um but not en- enough to justify if you just happened to have been there in the area but you know, people flew in from around the world to come to this event, so uh it's sort of a huge uh f up for them yeah. unfortunately where was it located i forget i think San Francisco no maybe? i have no idea yeah okay but it was only in one location you had to go to that location i mean you could take part in other places but you know you got there were there were supposed to be bonuses for being there i see okay well that's cool i uh i recently saw uh, dunkirk and they had a trailer at the beginning for pokemon go and it was that event. They were just basically showing a bunch of players, like, all, like, assembling in this huge monster. And they're all, like, holding up their phones and throwing Pokemon at it. I mean, just the amount of money they put into promoting that thing is insane. And for it to, to not work is, is it's a big, it's a pretty it's big. It's been a rough year for that yeah, game. It's a pretty big uh, FO. Uh, yeah, I mean, if they lost Jordan's uh, business, uh, something's not right. <laughs> okay, I'm not a big mobile gamer. It's true. It's true. But you are a big Pokemon guy. Yeah. And Pokemon did bring a lot of fans over that weren't mobile gamers, so just saying. It's true. Um, so last but not least, um, this is I guess bodes well for one game and not well for another, potentially. No, that's not true. Let me that that's a that's too much of a conclusion to draw. However, uh Crash Bandicoot is very successful. So those who don't know, um if you listen to the podcast you do know because we were talking about it last week, but Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy came out a couple weeks back. Um, and it's selling really well. And one of the reasons this is important is because uh, Vicarious Visions, who did the remake, and it is a complete remake, like from the ground up, um, is, you know, potentially now has the tool set to make, you know, the true successor to the to the Crash trilogy that originally came out. And the buzz is that if this game does really well and shows that there's a, a, an interest in a new Crash game, that that could very well happen. And obviously getting these three games released means that they probably wrangled the rights issues down to the ground a bit and, and might be able to handle that. I know that was what was stopping this game from being produced for a long while. 
Um, but anyway, it is it is now tied with The Last of Us for the most weeks spent at number one for a PlayStation exclusive game. Um, granted that that number of weeks is three, um, but still that's that's a long time. Um, and so it seems now more and more like a sequel is pretty likely. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really, I don't know. I remember Crash very fondly. Yeah. Uh, and I would like mascot platformers. Again, I'm still hoping for us. I, I would hope maybe this will inspire a Spyro version, but who knows where the rights are with that yeah anywhere that would that would be cool yeah skylanders is 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 crazy at this point uh, is that game still happening or is it dead dead skylanders yeah. i think it's taking the year off okay well at least that um but anyway on the on the flip side what what i thought was interesting and this is just the way that the story i read pitched it was that crash bandicoot in its like third week of sales or fourth or whatever it is um sold more than splatoon 2 in splatoon 2's launch week now granted the install base on the switch is you know, six million or whatever at this point, maybe more now that they're becoming more and more available. But let's say six, seven million, you know, to be, you know, so give it some leeway. And, you know, Splatoon 2, I know, is selling well, but just uh, Crash Bandicoot is selling that much better. I, I don't know. It seems uh, it seems like a, a good omen for that series. So I'm happy to hear it. No, yeah, I would. Uh, it's it's cool that that is the case. More, so I'm hoping more news on Splatoon 2 soon. By the way, all right from me. Um, but anyway, uh, on to. Uh, did you have any other news, by the way? No, nothing, nothing really. Okay, cool. Uh, well, on to uh, what we've been playing then, Jordan. And I've been talking for a while. Why don't you kick us off? All right. Well, I'll lead off that last story. I've been playing the Crash Bandicoot trilogy. <laughs> have you really? Yeah, uh, nice. just just very recently. Um, uh, it, and what is interesting, I know it's a full remake. It's very weird. I, I, there's got to be something with the rights, because it's bizarre to me how Naughty Dog gets almost no mention. Actually, no, I haven't even seen mention no, of Naughty Dog no, at all. it's not mentioned. In the very beginning of the game, there's no mention of Naughty Dog, and there's, a, that, and there's much ado about that. Like, I've heard multiple different gaming sites talk about that, uh, in, uh, most famously, or, or whatever, Game Informer. Uh, went on for like a 15-minute bit where they kept bringing it back up that literally Naughty Dog got no cred, and they were like talking shit about Vicarious Visions in a joking way. But it's like a glaring omission in a weird way. I mean, are they even in the credits at the end? I like don't a thank think you? so. I don't even think there's a thank you. Um, I think there's literally no mention. I'm going to do a little research here while you talk. Oh, uh, I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, Given that, yeah, I know they fully remade it and they they like got rid of the assets, but they were recreating the Naughty Dog games and Naughty Dog invented it, so it's bizarre uh, to say the least. Uh, but the gameplay is there; it's definitely hard as as uh, people so have said it is. So so hard. Um, I think it's mostly from from solid challenge. I do think uh, there are a few issues with it that are just maybe baked into the design from being from the '90s. Uh, depth perception is, I think, a big issue it a is. few times. It is. Um, they fixed it a little bit. Like in the first game, there didn't used to be a shadow, in my understanding, and now there is. So they changed some of that stuff and evened it out amongst the three releases. But even that's even good. with even with that shadow, sometimes I'll miss stuff and 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 well, for a game that you have to be so precise. Shadow or no shadow, sometimes it's just hard to tell how far you need to go, and the shadow isn't going to tell you if you're not going far enough right away. So. It, it makes for some stuff. There's a lot. Really, it, it mostly comes up for me in the um, running into the screen sections. Like, there's one particularly frustrating part where you're on a rickety bridge 
and you're like crossing it um and you have to like jump over the the there's like the broken bro- uh, broken planks and red planks that'll fall out from under you right. and slippery planks and just it took a while to get through that level just because so much of it was I would fall to my death because I was missing a very tiny strip of wood. Yeah, um, it's 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 true. It's definitely true. And then when you're on a time limit and there you know there's a there's a dude flying behind you or a boulder rolling behind you, uh, it gets even more uh, hairy and hectic and, yeah, and frustrating. Um, but and then sometimes it feels like the jumps are it's a little stiff and a little hard to to fully get a feel for it. But uh, you know I've always heard the first game is the roughest. It is the first game, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm and it's not that long. Um, I'm almost through it. So are I'm you? Sure... Oh, so you're not jumping around at all. You're going straight. You know chronological. Yeah, I'm just going chronologically. Okay, because I couldn't uh, help but dip my toe into all three. Uh, I'll be there soonish because there's only 26 levels in the first game, and I'm on what I assume is the last island. So, um, yeah, I'll, how, I'll be checking out the other one soon. How much harder does it get as you get further? I think I did like the first, I don't know, 10 levels of one. Uh, it it gets harder um, a little. It really depends level to level. Again, that bridge level is pretty hard. The Mayan fortress level, or the the the. I forget what it's called. There's like a fortress, and it's a very long level early on in the first game. That one's kind of tricky. Uh, is that the one? Yeah, like literally like the fifth or sixth level in or fourth? Right after the first boss. Oh, yeah. That level is so long. You're climbing that fucking fortress. I guess it's a fortress for so long. It never ends. And thank God for the checkpointing system. I've heard they've updated some of that. Can you imagine what that would have been like with the old rules? Like apparently the way it used to be, you'd have to like go back multiple levels if you died. So you'd be like replaying two levels just to get to that and hopefully sparing your lives. And you just imagine the frustration, how it would be compounded in that circumstance. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I'm just um, glad it's been updated in those ways. Those quality of life issues are really important, especially in a you know a hard as nails platformer. Um, but I've been enjoying that so far, and it's also worth noting they the, this was uh, another news story, but they announced it I think at San Diego. Uh, but the Crash Bandicoot uh, unfinished level Stormy Ascent, which it was you know deemed too hard for the first game because <laughs> it was like four times as long as any other level. Right. Uh, they released as free DLC, which is pretty cool. You tried it. No, no, not yet. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I even like want to. I downloaded it, of course. It's free with Plus, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to grab that. But uh yeah, I don't know how how keen I am on diving in. But uh, or ascending so, as it were. Uh so I haven't gotten too far, but I'm enjoying it. It's a nice platforming challenge, which is different from any of the other games I've gotten so far on the PS4, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending more time with it. Nice. Nice. All right. Um, well, uh, do one more, because I know you have a couple more than me. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I think, I think at this point we've got three left each, but I'll go ahead, and one of them's tied, but I'll go ahead and go, uh, the, I fit it, I'll stick with Naughty Dog, um, not that the credits for this game would tell you that. Um, Uncharted 2, I finished that up. Oh, yeah. And started Uncharted 3. Um, I really, you know, I'm, I I didn't love Uncharted 2. (laughs) I'll be honest. Wow. I enjoyed the story. You played the whole game again, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I started from – well, I mean I had to. I couldn't I guess that's skip true. ahead. I guess that's true. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the beginning and a lot of the platforming, um, but I felt like it was a little obtuse on where to go sometimes. But really the biggest issue was just I feel the combat got way too abusive towards the end. And I'm, I'm someone who plays – like I, I don't hate – hard games obviously you know i played all the halos on legendary and i I enjoy a good challenge 
But so much of the end of Uncharted 2 is built around, okay, here's three shotgun dudes and a guy with an RPG and someone with a grenade launcher. And then occasionally, yeah, let's throw in a guy with a minigun into the mix. And it's all about, oh, well, you better stay in cover, but, oh, we're going to throw a grenade at you. And since there's nothing you can do but run from a grenade, it's time to run from a grenade and get mowed down almost instantly. Because the shotgun, it can tear you apart pretty quickly on its own. So it's a challenge. Um, So it's just, there's so many firefights like that in the last few chapters that it got very exhausting. I mean, I would have finished it a lot sooner without those. There were parts where I would get through one of those and I just had to put the game down because I was exhausted after playing for maybe 40 minutes just from how tiring it was to, to put up with the combat in that game. Wow. So I for some reason, I don't remember that at all. I, I know that those games get a little difficult at the end in what you're saying. You know, there's a million enemies, which is always the most ridiculous thing about an Uncharted game, right? Is that, like, these bad guy, like, archaeologists that you're up against have a literal, like, military as large as, 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 as the United States military. I mean, it's literally, by the end of that game, you've probably taken out 1,500 dudes at least. And I think that's conservative. It's insane. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, a thousand, if there are 1500, I'd say a thousand of them come at you in the last, you know, third of the <laughs> game. Uh, it's crazy. Um, that there, there's a ton of dudes, there's a ton of things. I just don't remember it being that, you know, tough as nails, like you're saying, but I, I mean, I would also say, um, and I noticed this, especially going into uncharted three, uh, I think, I think just age has done that game poorly. Interesting. Um, because... it's still pretty though. No, it, no, 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 not graphically, gameplay-wise. I think okay. it's very, it's, the the gunplay is very shoddy in Uncharted 2. Um, and it was no more clear than when I loaded up Uncharted 3, and they have tightened it the hell up. I that game's so much easier to, to control your guns and to aim with in Uncharted 3. Um, and then I believe, I haven't gotten to a part, but I, I believe Uncharted 3 is the one where it finally adds the ability to throw grenades back. Mm-hmm. So that alone tells me it's going to be an easier, more fun time. But yeah, just with the, the updated gun, gunplay... Um, what I, I find is an immediately intriguing story in, uh, three, just as I, I was immediately intrigued in two as well. Um, I, I'm really, I'm looking forward to playing more of three. I think it'll probably end up being my favorite in the series so far, wow. um, but we'll see by the wow. end. Where are you in it now? I'm about five or six chapters in. I know okay. it's shorter on chapter count because I think there's only 21, 22 mm-hmm. in this one. Yeah. I mean, two is just a massive game. I think this one's slightly shorter, uh, you know, on the whole. But, you know, I mean, they're both really good games. And, and, and which one is your favorite between two and three is really just depends person to person. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, that would be more like if you'd played two when it came out and played three when it came out. I mean, if you're, if you're comparing, you know, apples to oranges, in, you know, combat-wise, then that's going to play a role. But if you just talk like story, levels, the world, you know, if everything else was equal, um, I think you still get, you know, about half of players or a little bit more than half likes two the best. And a lot of them like three. I know... Uh, Greg Miller is a big uh, proponent of three, if I remember correctly. I mean, we'll see where I'm at by the end. Uh, it's not been my most played game. I, I tend to play a chapter or two every couple of days as mm-hmm. opposed to getting fully sucked into it. Um, but I am uh, in, enjoying taking my time. Because, I, again, I got Uncharted 4 with the system, and uh, I'm, I'm just enjoying playing Uncharted and having a lot of it to play. Yeah, yeah. Much like how you love buying an omnibus. So you yeah. Can, so you can just read, you know, twenty four issues of fucking Star Wars or whatever it might be. All right. Uh, um, yeah. Cool, cool. So you're enjoying uh, Uncharted. Uh, I have four to play sitting up on my shelf here. I'm in my pile of shame. You should look at it. It's literally towering. The way I have my game set up, it like it like wobbles a little bit if you walk near it. It's that tall at this point. It's getting a little bit ludicrous. You know, there's just so many games. Um, 
uh, Dying Light I really want to play. And, I mean, I, I could just go on and on and on. There's so many games on that tower over there. So it's uh, it's on that list, man. I want to I get to it. But, you know, and it's one of those things. There's really nothing like an Uncharted game. If you want to have an, uh, you know, an unsurpassed cinematic experience, I'd say you really can't do better than that. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's it's the good I mean, modern-day uh, Indiana Jones. What, what would you say compares? The, the Tomb Raiders, the, the remake. Okay. Oh, sure, 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 yeah. Which no, is no. what Uncharted took its inspiration from, so that's not surprising. You mean what, what you, oh, oh, the, right, right, right. The original in, Tomb Raider. In reverse, right, right, right. And then, and then interestingly, looks like Tomb Raider kind of took inspiration from Uncharted, you know, going forward, and what Uncharted refined. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So on a slight, yeah, no, no, this is un, this is this is tangential, but on a slightly related note, I did finally see uh, Atlantis: The Lost Empire, the Disney film, and it's basically like an Uncharted film. So if, and I've always heard people praise that, but it kind of came out in that window where people weren't watching Disney movies as closely. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It's a really fun, just straight up adventure movie. What set is in it? The, it's about a researcher who's exploring for the lost continent of Atlantis, and he gets uh he's able to find funding for an expedition and they go on the expedition to find this mystical lost city so you know it's everything you'd want from an indiana jones or an uncharted game type movie uh it's just it's a lot of fun is it super kitty or is it like like no it's it's a good surprising no i mean i i think it's one of disney's better efforts in managing to stay deep and it does have a a really good plot with a lot of really good characters wow i will definitely check that out i'm looking at the poster now that poster is exquisite yeah, uh, Michael J. Really Fox pretty. stars. Oh, really? Lead. Yeah, it's actually got a really good voice cast of voices you'd recognize, yeah, but that's most Disney films. Leonard, Leonard Niboy, James Garner, um, uh, and a couple other people. That's 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 cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so I'd recommend that in, oh, if it you're was in no- the Uncharted mood. It says it was notable for adopting the distinctive visual style of comic book creator Mike Mignola. Mignola. Yeah, he was wow. uh, one of the lead designers on it. Wow, that's crazy. Cool. Very, very cool. All right. Um, so I am going to start with um, Life is Strange. Um, so as we talked about last week, I destroyed this game on myself. And the way I did that was by finding out I, – I was trying there, – there's a very early decision where you find out if you're going to – you know, what you do in this – do you report Nathan Prescott for having a gun or not to the principal? And, you know, when you're early in that game, you don't really understand, like – how the implications of decisions are going to play out, whether you'll be able to counteract it with future good moves that you make and things like that. Um, so I was just being my you know usual neurotic self. Like a lot, a lot of people are that way when you when you try to play a choice game. They really want to make sure they're not making the wrong choice. And that game's kind of built around that idea of like here are the decisions you can change, and then here are the ones you can't. And oftentimes the ones you can't change are the ones that are the most impactful and and you know gut wrenching, um, as the uh, end of uh, episode two uh, points out or, or demonstrates. I know that one was particularly rough for you and should have been for me um, <laughs> if I hadn't had it spoiled on me. But anyway, so I looked up this you know nathan prescott gun decision and i looked forward and i saw that um the ending of both episode two and episode four were what they were so i kind of knew like the the one sentence version of what happens in each of those chapters and those are where the two biggest like one is the biggest climactic moment of the whole game emotionally i'd say and the other one is the biggest reveal of the whole game um and so i got both of those rolling on me and being somebody who loves surprises i was gutted uh literally gutted i mean my, my stomach got literally sick for a while after that happened i was just like oh my god I, I it's one of those moments where you wish you could like i don't know take some medicine or go to find a machine that could wipe your brain for the last 10 minutes 
I mean, you gotta I'm, just play those games, man. You got you can't look them up. You gotta I know. just go. I know that's what you have to do, and that's anyway. So I thought it was destroyed on me, but interestingly, it kind of led me in a different direction. It made me think, well, you know what? Now that I've had it ruined on me, if I don't play it now and really get into it and really dive in. Um, I'll never play it because I'll just think it's ruined and it'll just taint uh, Life is Strange for me forever. Plus, you had told me that you know there's still a lot of interesting stuff. The character development and the story is still compelling enough that it's worth it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to play this. So I kept playing it and man, did that game grab me and roped me in. And I loved it anyway. I mean, Good. it is... I, I didn't quite finish it. I'm, I'm halfway through Chapter 5. Um, and once you kind of know you know, all the machinations of what's going to happen in that game, you know, having been through half of chapter five, I'm just like, all right, I got to get back and just make the final decisions, you know, um, kind of, it's kind of done for me, but man, is that a great game? And you know, what's weird for me, and I know you're probably going to heartily disagree. I really find myself for most of that game, not liking Chloe. I'm trying to like her. I'm trying so hard, but I just, I love Max. And you know what even, even invaded my dreams straight up? is that dude um, who talks about the squirrels. What's his name? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Arnold, vaguely. Arnold or Nelson or something like that. But he's he he's always like, the squirrels are watching us. They know what's <laughs> happening. And um, and Nathan Prescott, he's evil. You know, just, just a really creepy, weird thing that he, he has this weird voice. But I absolutely love so many characters in that game. I just can't get into Chloe at all. I just can't. Um, did you love her? Yeah, I liked Chloe. I I don't know. I just it just drives me. She drives me crazy. She just always says something that annoys me. I realize that's the idea. She's just awkward and 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 tries very hard to like be different and you know start clashes and she's just she's very combative. That's the, the you know her character and I get that. But usually those kind of characters have like endearing elements to them and I and it sounds like that's the effect that it had on you. For some reason I just can't get into her character and so it's going to be interesting to see how it'll be before the storm works for me. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be a different type of... It'll be a different point in her life, so... Yeah. Who knows? Well, you know, we at some point in Life is Strange, you kind of, you know, get some hints as to what that might be like. So, it's definitely interesting, but I can't wait till I finish uh, Episode 5 and finally get to go back and... Um, you know, watch the directors. There's like this whole director's uh, commentary for the whole game and see why they made the decisions they made. But I do have to say, especially if it hadn't been ruined on me, but even still, I think it's probably the best telltale style game there's ever been i think they've done it better than telltale in in this game it's uh it's something special and i'm uh i hope they do more in the future as well you know new new properties and ideas yeah well you know that you know life is strange 2 is coming out with uh by don't nod yeah um and so they'll make their own sequel and by the way it's confirmed to have completely new cast of characters and it'll be a completely different story whether or not it'll have the time change mechanic it remains to be seen i think they'll probably will do it but who knows they may have a different kind of mechanic um but before the storm will just be a straight up decisions game but i wonder how they're going to make that interesting being that you know what's going to happen to both chloe and rachel amber um what do you think do you think that's going to be like it's the challenge that's yeah. on them it's hard to say specifically what they'll do but you yeah. know that's that's their job yeah it it is it's just an odd decision to make to go there i guess yeah i guess though that that that's that's one of the the most ripe areas because it's it's a, it's a relationship that's discussed and explored a lot uh in in life is strange but i just find myself loving max she's such a great character um is she your favorite or, or do you have another favorite character would you say no i like max a lot yeah 
she's 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 great i also really like victoria i found her to just be a great character that makes a lot of sense plot wise instead of just being a traditional mean girl she really has a great character arc that i enjoyed um and also even though i knew like the main plot points of what happens at the end of of two and, and at the end of four i didn't know like understand all the things around it so so finding out the whys and the hows really were compelling in that game even beyond the identity of maybe who the bad guys are it was cool no good. I'm glad you were able to still enjoy it. I really, I really was an M, and uh, and I'm, I'm diving in. You know, one thing that really messed me up, and, and out there in uh, in listener land, if you if you play this game and you haven't played it yet, it was free with PS Plus a while back. A lot of people grabbed it and, and didn't give it a second thought. I definitely recommend you do. And the other thing I would say is there's this thing that I didn't realize, and that is that anything you touch gets to go back in time with you. Now, of course, that's something that just kind of, you know, you have to do it to move forward in the story. But, like, there's a point where you have to get somebody's keys. And I and it just met, was messing with my head because I was like, well, wait, if I get his keys and then I go back in time, like, his keys are going to be on the table back again, you know? And then I realized that earlier in the game, apparently I missed it. But the very first time you reverse time, it says that any items that are, you know, you're holding on to will go back with you. Mm. So I I didn't I didn't realize that and it was messing with my mind uh, for a while there, but um but it's a it's a it's a really really great game I just I'm blown away by how they how they wrote that game and all the different you know possibilities and all the complexity of characters you know I know it get gets a lot of crap for like the Hella and all the different lingo and the bad lip syncing I could care less about bad lip syncing it never bothered me yeah I I care less about bad lip syncing I just think the depth of characterization like for example um the step asshole or whatever they call him um michael madsen or hansen or whatever his name is um, yeah her stepdad chloe's stepdad is just a great character so overall it's just it's just brilliantly written and you know for the little bit of you know things that ring hollow in your ear a bit um they're so minor compared to to how great that game is so anyway i loved the hell out of life is strange man i'm glad i mean yeah it's it was obviously a favorite of mine the year it came out um and it's a it's a it's a phenomenal game. Do you think it's the pinnacle of the form up to this point? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I think Tales is a very close second. Mm-hmm. It's just not as emotionally investing, but mm-hmm. yeah, both of those are my favorites. Oh my god, did we talk about this? I don't think we did. I mentioned this on last week's podcast, but we didn't talk about it on gaming, and I think I have to. Do you? And we didn't mention it in news. Speaking of Telltale, did you hear what's coming out? The wolf among us two yes. and batman two. yes and i think there was one other maybe uh, not no. maybe i'm crazy dude just you, those two you need to play batman one like i know you played the first chapter but like you need to play that game um it is the best deconstruction of the batman and re and then reconstruction of the batman mythos that i've ever experienced elseworld tales or otherwise i mean the game is just awesome i mean there's some things that aren't like amazing about it but generally speaking it just does some great things with characters you already know in totally new directions you got to play it jordan it's on my list I, I plan to get to it i i need to finish the wolf among us and the wolf among us is phenomenal too as i've said many times in this podcast but i just can't believe i, I i'll never be able to celebrate enough that this game is coming out because all the buzz i love the telltale marches to their own drum because all the buzz was that the walking dead sells better game of thrones sells better tales from the borderland sells better batman's got a big ip and sells better guardian sells better everyone's like wolf among us was the least selling of all their games because nobody knows the ip and blah 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 
oh my god, thank god it was such a relief when I found out they were making it. It just felt like justice. It felt like, oh my god, this amazing franchise. Because The Wolf Among Us even happening was so surprising. Fables is such a rich world with such amazing characters. I think that rival any of the Telltale games as far as cast, for me especially. And I, I thought there wasn't going to be any more. I was sure of it. Well, to me, it wasn't so much that it, performance wasn't the issue. I would just think it's a game that is set in a very specific time in an already established universe. So I wouldn't I, – there wasn't an immediately obvious place to go with it. So, well, a new, um, a new case. Well, sure, but but again, it's uh, just in terms of, again, storyline and – because it's set very close to the beginning of the main series. So it, I would think it would take a little more finagling, and there's a lot that's already been done. It's a more – it's a – what's one of them? It's a – it's an established universe with a lot more. It's not like an Elseworld. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be in continuity, so it is more restrictive than I think you know some of the other projects they've done. Where it's like you know their own universe version of Batman, or The Walking Dead, or something like that. Mm, okay, all right. I I I don't know about that. Um, I think with Batman you have so much, so many limitations. I see what you mean because they're staying within the continuity as opposed to Batman, which doesn't. Yeah, Batman is completely original. It's its own timeline. I mean. I don't think I mean I, the whole point is that they're not staying with some of the uh, continuity elements in Batman in right. terms of like the it's, def- it's definitely the best aspects of that game I'd say. Yeah, but you know, Wolf Among Us is one where they and I think that's the same thing with Tales from the Borderland. I, I would assume the reason that hasn't had a sequel is because they worked to make it so in continuity with the other games that they are waiting to see what Gearbox does next or working more closely with them than they might on their own. Mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm. think that would be the case similarly with The Wolf Among Us. Well, that, that's interestingly counterintuitive. It's not what I would have thought, but now that I hear you explain it, it does make some sense. Yeah. So who, who knows? But I am excited. Oh, uh, I'm I need so to... glad. Where, how far did you get in that? Just the first chapter? Just the first chapter. Oh, dude, man. It is. That game is... I mean, I I almost want to play it again it, just to be admired in that world. It's that fun. I just love I love Bigby though. I mean, I think he's one of the best characters in comics from of all time. Definitely top ten for me. So and the cool. Bigby Snow well, relationship no, I mean, it'll is be great. Exciting to see what that game does. Awesome. Alrighty. Um, what is um your second to last game? We'll we'll save the one we have in common for last. Uh, so this is honestly the game I've played the most over the past couple of weeks um and i don't you know what i'm, I'm completely obsessed with it uh final fantasy 14 is amazing oh really uh yeah i'm i am in love with it i actually i just checked my time on it because uh, i remember the free trial was you could play up to level 35 uh without paying because uh, that's how long the free trial goes and i was curious and granted that's I, technically I'm not even that far in the story because of story levels and then also you can level up other stuff so honestly you could play the game way more than I have in and still you know hit those limits and everything yeah, stay within. but uh, I'm at oh now I'm gonna forget uh, 62 hours wow. of game time wow something like that where uh, are you in where are you in the expansions the first one still the expansions? I'm not in the expansions. No, no, you're no, you're still in the first core game. I mean, yeah, I'm still level 35 in the core game. Oh, okay. You're not you're not paying yet to 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 exceed. No, no, I have paid. I did okay. pay because because it was um the starter set with the base game was super on sale during the PlayStation uh weeks of or whatever. So I right. I, I bought the game pretty early on. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so what I makes just, it so amazing? There's just so much to do. I mean, it is. 
insane. And not just that there's a lot to do, but that there's varied gameplay. There's, um, you know, leveling up your main class and following the storyline. There's job-specific classes. And there's the fact that instead of having to create different characters, your one character can do any job or class in the game. All you have to do is go and do the, like, the introductory mission. Like, every single class has a, so you want to be a lancer or you want to be a botanist mission. And you can go do that and then start just progressing as that character and they have a lot of means to level up your not main class uh all of the field the gathering and crafting classes have really unique systems that make it fun to do those things or at least unique so that you're not doing the same type of gameplay uh to craft a bow and arrow as you are to like go and harvest materials from the wild there is the the gold saucer that they added in one of the earlier patches that allows you to go play triple triad uh, Chocobo racing. You play There's triple a, like, triad. That's the majority of time I've spent. Probably, uh, I, I've gotten lost playing against some of the NPCs for hours at a time, trying to get all their cards. Wow. Um, and then you know, there's tournaments there. There's all kinds of events you can do in the Gold Saucer. There's a MOBA type game which I haven't really touched, but it is there. Um, there's it's constant. There's dungeons and there's raids and there's special events and there's um guild hests which are just sort of like minor instance things you can go do and all of the guilds and dungeons are very unique there was one i just did that was like a haunted mansion oh and you are were you playing like... solo yeah um, dungeons you have to use the duty finder and play with other people but you can just again match make and do it but and, yeah and you don't have to talk you just just roll through yeah i mean you can chat in the chat if you want to but you don't have to and it's no problem. You guys got through it. No no problem. You don't need communication like in Destiny or something. Not as of yet. I know the later dungeons are... Like, I, I've, I've heard very specifically that around where I am, the dungeons pick up in terms of complexity. And I've noticed that already um, because the man, a lot of them were straightforward, you know, follow the path type dungeons. Mm -hmm. The mansion was the first one where it was like you had to find different keys to lo unlock the main doorways of the mansion. So it was about searching for them. Um, the thing is, again, the game's been around so long that I've, I'm, I'm duty, because I'm duty findering with people, I am finding, you know, people who just know where to go, which and is the, nice. Yeah, they're like super just... on point. They know, they know the game, like the back of their hand, they're probably going through there to pick up some crafting items or something. I don't know. Yeah. And well, then... also because there's so much written about it and talked about it and so many people have watched so many streams about it, even if they're new players, you know, around your level, there's still, there's still so, it's so, you know, much information is out and about. Yeah, and you know, I'm playing a DPS class, so I just what do are you that. playing? Uh, an archer is my main class. And what's your alt? Uh, well, right now the only other combat class I've done is gladiator, just because I wanted to try a new one, and to have a tank so I can you know play around with that. But again, there are, I think I forget honestly. I think there's thirteen or so combat classes. What do you mean combat classes? So how many total classes? Period. I mean, I think there's seven DPS, three tanks, and three healing, uh, or in terms of those are like the archetypes. Um, and then there's all the classes again. It, it also is you know the archer or the botanist and the leather worker and the gold miner. Those are all the those are all classes as well that have their own class quest lines as you level up your gathering and your crafting. Oh, classes. so those are ones you do that you don't use like to play the main game. Like, you play no, other yeah. shit. 
yeah, those are to enhance and make it so that you can, like, repair your own armor or gather materials and uh... build stuff and build better armor and all that. So when you say combat class, that's not like in a game like Overwatch where it's like, I'm going to play a healer or I'm going to play a, a, somebody who's focused on damage. You mean if you want to play through the game proper, you got to play one of the combat classes, period. Yeah, it's one of the classes you pick at the beginning of the game. Okay, got Like, it. you can't start as a botanist. Because you wouldn't you be able to start, do shit, right. You can start as an archer, or you can start as a arcanist, or um, a mage. Okay, so if I want to try this out today, what do I do? Uh, you just go... Well, PS4, I'm not sure. I guess you just go to the store and look for it, and download the trial version. Well, you. what are you playing on? PS4. Okay, so, okay, and then... What but I started... I started the trial on the PC a few days before the PS4 came, and then once I got the PS4, I just logged in on the PS4 on the bought copy, and it automatically transferred my character over. If you own the PS, the PC and the PS4 version, you can just play on whichever one you want. Um, and then it's wow. all cross. So Wait, I'm playing you... with on PC. You're playing with what? It's crossplay, so I'm. The PS4 and PC players play together, uh, well, which is amazing. Um, but but what do you you have just like a basic PC? How are you playing it? Uh, it ran a little shoddily. I mean, it was it was I think maxing out at twenty frames per second. Okay, that's not terrible. It's uh, playable. And it was just a couple days, and I I just wanted to get into it, and then I I haven't touched it on there again because again I would have have to I would have had to buy a full copy of the game on PC. I see. I just doing the trial there and then i switched over and now i'm just ps4 so but but me personally if i want to jump in and play up to level 35 i can do that without buying anything yeah i mean there are some limitations like what um you can't you know add friends and there's chat limitations and i there are a few other things um but i nothing i again i didn't get far enough to really notice any of that i played for about nine ten hours before i switched to ps4 so and then on ps4 you bought it yeah okay and how much was what you bought uh when i bought it it was twelve dollars oh my god and what did you get for it uh i got a month of game time and the entire base game wow wow which is everything through the end of the base game and then there were the pre there was like there was the base game as it was when it came out after you know the relaunch and then there were the two point, I think, there was the post-game pre-Heaven's Word uh, patch quests that were like the build-up to Heaven's Word, oh, which okay. I know is another big chunk of content there. You mean even uh, before you get to Heaven's Word? Yeah. Oh, wow. So where are you in the story? Like, are you halfway through? Uh, the missions I am taking are, the story missions are set to level 30. So, I mean, I'm a little over-leveled because, again, I've been doing a lot of other stuff, uh -huh. side quests and all that. Um, but I am at the level 30 story missions. So, probably about halfway. Because okay. the first 10, 15 levels go super fast. Okay, got it. Got it. Now, how do you – I know we're, gonna, we're going pretty deep on this, but I'm pretty curious. So, oh, that's fine. So, tell me, what um, – how do you play? Like, what is the combat? How do you control it on your controller? Uh, the PS4, honestly, I think it's a really good system. It does – um, it has a setup where you, you have hot bars, you know, cause it's an MMO. Right. Uh, but it has this cross hot bar is, I think it's called the crossbar. Um, and what it is, <laughs> nice. is if you pull right trigger or, or L2 or R2, or basically if you pull R2, it pulls up They're They're kind of on the bottom of the screen. 
R2 will pull up eight options that are mapped to your D-pad and your uh, face buttons, and then L2 will pull up the other side of it where it's, again, mapped to your face buttons and your D-pad. So, so you crank L2, and then you push one – you either push up, left, right, or down, or triangle, X, square, or circle, and each one of those eight things does a different um, ability. Yeah, it's – you know, you map them how you want, but yeah, it's mapped to an ability, so – just on your first main hotbar, you can have 16 options ready to go, and which what, is a lot. What are the options, though? Like, how do you fight, and what's the main attack? So the main thing, you're, I mean, your, your character auto-attacks, so you're always doing some damage, but then you have your abilities, some of which cost uh, MP if they're magic, or TP, which are your sort of like your technical skill points. Um, you know, you can do special things like fire your bow, and then they have other abilities that will combo off of them. So it keeps it engaging by, like, if, if an ability triggers a combo, you'll see, like, a dotted line show up around that ability. So you know, oh, I can do this now for bonus damage. Oh, okay. Um, so kind of like in Kingdom Hearts, where um, you do an attack and then there's a follow-up with Triangle. Yeah. Okay. And then they have, you know, you can use effects. Like as an archer, I have poison arrows, and eventually you get these wind bite, a wind bite attack, both of which will do constant damage on their own while they're queued up. Uh, you get, you know, things that boost. Then you also have abilities that are on cooldown. So like, there's one that's an escape move where you fire an arrow and then jump back like 15 feet, and you can get out of range of attacks. Like enemy attacks show up on the ground. It'll show like their cone or the circle around them, or however their attack is going to hit, and as long as you get out of that area, it won't hit you. Hmm. Um, you know, the early game is very basic. I mean, it's run up to the enemy, use your skills, you don't have to move, really, and you kill them. But as you as you get further in the game, like any video game, it's much more about positioning and knowing how to support your teammates if you're in a dungeon, because uh, there's a lot more of status effects and whatnot. Do you uh, ever so die? Combat, yeah, a few times. Um, and combat in... in in the wild, if you die, you just uh, you either can wait and just wait for someone to come revive you, which isn't un which isn't likely if you're not playing with other people, right? Uh, or you can just go back to whichever aetherite you're attuned to. And so, like each city, each major hub city has an aetherite, and then has like mini ones that you can teleport around the city with. And then each zone has one or two um, aetherite as well that you can once you get there you can attune to it and then you can just fast travel everywhere in the game pretty much all right so so most big important question how's the story it is you know it's I, it is refreshingly fi I, it's weird to say it's it's hard to explain because it's definitely classic final fantasy which i really appreciate um and it's slow to start that's the thing i always heard um and, and it is true okay um, a lot of the early game is just you're a new adventurer, you've arrived in Eorzea, and you're going to, you know, do quests. And, I mean, a lot of the early game is tutorial, and there's a lot to it, but it does a really good job of very slowly introducing stuff. And um, characters that you need to know that you'll spend the whole game with. Yeah, and I think that's been a really good thing. It's like once you get to about the point where you fight your first... Uh, they're called primals, like all of the different races in the game have a different primal associated to them, and that's kind of the main plot, is dealing with the primals that are being reborn for by some shadowy organization. Uh, is it the kind of game that has a plot that would even lend itself to reveals and story beats and twists, or is it yeah. just so, like, or is it so generic, like, just as to give you a frame for, for doing shit? No, I think it, it, it is developing in a very nice way, and it's giving you interesting characters. It's got really good characters so far. Um, I think it's getting more intense as I've played more of it, which is, which I appreciate. And I mean, I've always heard vanilla is, 
is the the I don't want to say least good, but uh, most straightforward story. Um, but I think it's very effective for what it is. It's done a good job of getting me invested in the world and the characters, and uh, it's done a really good job of telling side stories. Most recently, it was about because uh, the big bad is there's like the three main city states you go between, and then there's the Garlean Empire, who is like the big bad, mm-hmm. um, and they use Magitek, and they're just a bunch of jerks right uh but there's like a whole you know each each area is sort of like you would in a final fantasy game where you go to a new area and you hang out with the people and you get to know them and you do quests there and you learn about the effects of the world on those people and so there's like a whole part where you go to this displaced camp of people who were kicked out of their homeland and who are just spoiling for you know the young people are spoiling for a fight and you get to know them and the chief and uh what risks they're taking and so it's it's you know it's very straightforward simple storytelling but it's very effectively done and the story is ramping up as I go through it. All right, so what's the part that um has you obsessed with it? Like what I know you could easily say the whole thing, but like what is it really that makes you like feel like I got to turn it on right now and play more? I got to. It it's just fun. It's a, it's a very one more thing to do type of game where there's always something you can be doing something you can be exploring. Um, there's all kinds of... I mean, yeah, I didn't even mention there's stuff you can do. There's a hunting log where you can get bonus experience for killing enough of a certain type of enemy as a class. There's a sightseeing log where it has, like, mini environmental puzzles where it'll very vaguely explain, all right, here's where you need to go, and if you do this there, you'll you'll see a great sight. And so there's that. There's just... There's so many different logs. Like, when you first open the menu starting out, there's a bunch of stuff that's just grayed out because you don't have it yet. As you go through the game and learn more and find new things, it's just... It keeps expanding. And that's what I like about it. There's so much to do, and it just keeps blooming and expanding with so much additional content. Dude, it sounds really fun. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's the, it's the best Final Fantasy that's come out in, like, a decade. And that's not saying much, but it feels like Final Fantasy, and I love the aesthetic and the world, and... I think that's important is that Final Fantasy hasn't felt like Final Fantasy in a while. Huh. So they did something that's this drastically different from anything they've ever done before, and yet it feels fully Final Fantasy. That that really surprises me that they've been able to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, it's all the talks. It's the aesthetic. It's, you know, talking about crystals and the different races and the bombs and tonberries and cactars and just all the things that, that feel like old-school Final Fantasy – um, that, you know, are there in games like 15, but 15 is so wildly different in so many ways that it doesn't feel like a, like even a fantasy game so much of the time. Wow. Well, that's, um, that's cool. That's cool. I definitely want to, uh, to check it out. I'm actually pulling it up on my PS4 as we speak to start downloading it. Cause I'm assuming it's huge, right? Uh, it's not too bad, honestly, but yeah, it's a pretty big download. Okay, cool. I mean, it's an MMO, so the assets always kind of they got to be a little less intense so that the game can actually run with a bunch of people in it. And, you know, at this point it's, I think four years old, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good game. So, so do you think you're going to be able to play like straight up straight through it? Like just, just play it from the very beginning. Um, I mean, and then just like keep going all the way through both expansions and just, just roll, roll, roll. Um, how do you mean? Well, you know, it, that's a lot to do, and this thing has gone has come out over years, you know? So do you think, like, you'll be able to, in one stretch, do it? Like, everybody else has had a break, you know? Not you, I though. mean, I think it's entirely... I mean, I don't I don't see myself getting all the way... Well, first of all, there's going to be uh, 
payments where I would have to buy Heaven's Word and Stormblood, and then, you know, it is a monthly game, so... But I could... Do I see myself taking a break before I get to the end of Stormblood? Yeah, probably. <laughs> right. Uh, but I don't see myself doing that right now. Cool. So I'm, I'm just enjoying it for what it is while it is. Look, I got, I've gotten over 60 hours out of it so far. I, if I stopped playing and never touched it again, I'd have gotten my money's worth. I, I just, I find that unbelievable. That's, that's, that's amazing. So it looks like just for, for listeners out there who, who you sold on it, like me, um, it looks like you have to pay twenty dollars for the online starter edition to be able to do anything, uh, on PS4. Okay. It, it so look- yeah, that, that would be a a, st- uh, a a a block. But yeah, again, on PC you can just download it and try it, but. You know, twenty is not bad. Again, it's no. a lot of content. No, that is that is really cool. And then the online complete edition—I don't know how much that is, but still, I mean, it's that's that's a, it's a good deal. Um, awesome. All right. Well, I'm I'm really excited about that. Um, I definitely have to jump into that. And if I jump in, would we be able to play together? How does that work? Uh, as long as we're on the same server, which, which I can choose my server. Yeah, you can choose your server. The biggest thing, because yeah, once you—I found this out because I actually have friends who had started playing it. And they wanted me to play with them, but I found out that once you've created a character, you can't switch servers for up to 90 days. So I was kind of SOL on that, but I mean, it's fine. Again, I mostly got it for the single player, but I wouldn't mind playing it with people. Yeah, yeah, I just can't believe it has that much single player. That's that's just so crazy for an MMO. It's, it's usually so not like that, but... Awesome. All right. Well, you know, I, with all this talk about uh, Square, I think we really just need to dive right into the next thing. I'll talk about my last game at the very end. Um, dude, the way you are about FF14, I have been about Kingdom Hearts. Oh my god, this game is amazing. I can't believe that I never gave it enough of a chance. I have false started Kingdom Hearts three times, at least. Um, and now finally, with this, I, I picked up the 1.5, 2.5 pack. And I've been playing through Kingdom Hearts 1.5 Final Mix, like the first game. Oh my god, the game is amazing. We've been texting back and forth about it just because of, you know, there's, there's interesting things like what abilities you choose. Did you focus on magic very much? Um, you know, uh, how long did it take you to get through the game and things like that. Did you really finish it in 10 hours? No, no. I, I, I don't know why I remember it being so short. I think it, I think, I think... I remembered seven hours, but I think it was actually 17 hours, because that's about how long I think I ended up going a little longer, because I spent more time doing stuff. Yeah. This round, I think I totaled out at 20, 22 hours. Yeah, that sounds more like it, because I was, I was like, if he finished this in 10, I'm a nut, because I'm playing this game, like, and I'm, I'm over 10 hours, and I just hit, I'm just going to Atlantica now. Yeah. I, I would I mean it's possible to do it that fast, but I, I, I'm sure. not a speedrunner. No, so. no. So tell me, um, how far in am I if I'm just about to start Atlantic? I just finished uh, Monstro. Uh you've got I not much left at this point. I don't think. 'Cause have you you haven't been you've been to Agrabah and Monstro and that's it on the right side of the map? Yeah, I still have to go to Atlantica, um uh Halloween town town wow i just sound like a southerner automatically there um and um there's nothing wrong with that i just am not one um oh, yeah and neverland okay and yeah. yeah so you're 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 more than half um, okay and then hollow bastion and then that's it yeah i mean hollow bastion is a longer more complex world but even then it's not too bad well, well there there's a there's a I quote unquote world after that but it's more of the end game than it is its own world okay that's cool. So tell me, what's your favorite parts of this game, and, and what's, what was your experience playing it? 
I mean, it's uh, that's tricky to say because I've I've played the, first played this game, you know, when it came out, and sure. then have revisited so, over the years. Nostalgia is a big piece. Um. I don't know. I just think it's a ridiculously solid, fun game. Again, this is a version that holds up remarkably well because they put so much up. work into it. Because, um, again, it had a final mix, and then the 1.5 kind of reconfigured the gameplay to um, let it be closer to how Kingdom Hearts 2 plays. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, who knows what else they did. It, graphically, they updated it. Um, so there's been a lot of things that have been changed in it, but, you know, at its core, it's still the same game with the same maps and the same story. And it's just a very well done, effective, uh, game. Uh, yeah. it, it does a really good job of, you know, keeping the Disney stuff at the forefront and, uh, you know, it has its anime story as well, but it, in, it integrates the Disney characters with the Disney villains being such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Obviously. That's a problem later on that the series runs into where it starts kind of losing its way a little bit. Right, I think. it stops being as Disney and it starts being much more like this crazy, uh, you know, circuitous, complex plot. Yeah, and that starts as soon as the next game, but for the first one, I think really does stand alone very well and tell a solid story. Yeah, well, I... um. First of all, one thing that's really um, it surprises me, and this could be because... I'm playing the 1.5 final mix and I didn't realize that it, it, it you know that they had overhauled the combat extensively to be more like 2 cuz I'm playing it and I'm like I don't remember this combat being this solid. You know, um the combat's really solid. Like it it, it you know the hits feel chunky and you know the jumping feels good and I I mean I just love it and I love you know can, uh you know uh, activating abilities, turning them on. I have I, abilities are like my favorite thing. I don't know how how you play it. But to me, like, I love the abilities. I like the magic okay, but the abilities are really my favorite. I love to be able to do a string of combos, excuse me, a string of attacks, and then have, like, an awesome finisher. I don't never know which one it's going to be, and it just goes blam, and the dudes get electrocuted or whatever. That's my play style. I love that. Now, I use the magic a lot, too. A lot of people online talk about how the magic is totally underrated. You should absolutely use it, so I've been doing that as well. And it is good, um, especially the gravity spell I like a lot. Um, I like fire now that it's been leveled up. The first fire was kind of tame, but Fira is good. Um, I really like um, Arrow for certain tough fights. But there's just so many... For such an early game, and again, again, I guess it's been updated because it just plays so well and it looks so pretty. Now, the the areas you're in are are, are very clearly PS2 areas. Like, the environments are very flat, and you're supposed to interact with shit that's supposed to be like a real item, although it looks like a, you know, painting on a wall, you know? Um, so those, those things are, are still rough, but the, the, the gameplay itself and the story is fun. And this is my first time through it. I, I got to deep forest once and I got like a level before that once. So like, I really never got real deep into the game to where I started enjoying all the different elements, but man, it just comes together really well. Um, so, so let me ask you some questions. Did you, um, what keyblades do you use throughout? Do you upgrade a lot or, or what do you do with that? I mean, I use whichever one had the highest stats. But the but then there's weird ones like the wishing something the one that Geppetto gives you that lets you have a combo at the end of every attack but it has slightly less strength and then there's the one that gives you uh, two more MP but but drops off your strength by one or two what do you use I, those? I typically just go with the strongest um, as long as it doesn't depl- like I I try as long as it didn't uh, lower my MP yeah because I mean you still need MP for for combos and for healing but. Uh, for the most part, just whichever one was strongest. Okay, so how do you play? What's your game? What's your game play style? There's a lot of ways you can play it. Uh, I hit things with the keyblade till they die. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think it's it's 
it has a lot of depth, but I don't think it needs or not needs. Um, it doesn't fully require it early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the times, Fira was my main go-to because it was a quick hit and it homed in. Yeah. I always found Blizzard to be a very unwieldy one. It just uh, like sprays aid. out, not very far. Yeah. Uh, same for Thunder. It felt ra- feels random. Um, I like the direct impact of fire. And then, uh, you know, I used Arrow to defend up when necessary, which is uh, the case a lot of times at the end. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to just focus on combat and using combos. Yeah. So I just got the, um, I just got the, the, the double jump or the high jump. Oh my God. My life just changed. (laughs) I can't believe how dramatic it is. It's so dramatically different. Yeah. It makes going back to find things in the earlier worlds a lot easier. It it also totally changes the combat like completely because it used to be hard to reach up high for different things. And now I can just jump up and, like, be up there with, like, the spellcasters. And all the bosses have, like, really high hit spots that you have to hit. And I'm always, like, jumping off shit. Now I can just jump up there and be on their level. And it just really makes a big difference. So I just can't believe that you get that so late in the game. But I guess they want it to be that way. I'm sure they tuned it appropriately. Yeah, I mean, you get more movement abilities later on as well. Like flying and shit, I heard. And and also gliding on currents. But I don't know where those currents would be. Um, are they ever... uh, no you just glide it's not like a oh okay okay got it you don't textual at all okay okay cool that's exactly what i was wondering because it says ride on the air currents and i was like are those going to be like one particular level like in a zelda game you know mm-hmm. okay cool so what uh you told me that you like the game a lot better level wise once you get past deep forest because both um alice in wonderland and deep forest are both very maze-like so i i found them to be maze-like also i you know i'm using a strategy guide um to help me you know know where to go so i don't get frustrated like you have to like kick off events like you have to like walk into a tent just randomly just so like and then say something to somebody and then go to another place for like the events to continue i know that's something you warned me about and it's definitely true so like having a a plot guide at least to tell you like where to go to move the story forward is is definitely valuable for this game um, and so Mike, but, but now that I moved forward from deep forest, I don't know that I feel like that gets unmaze like, so, um, Agrabah, especially the cavern is pretty mazy. I mean, I guess. And then the same thing is true, like knocking blocks off so that they fall down below so you can jump over shit so you can open doors and blah, blah, blah. Same thing, um, with Monstro. I mean, going through all those six chambers and which door goes to which, I mean, it's kind of maze like throughout. Does it ever get... It- uh, you know, it, it honestly is. I just uh, – Alice and Tarzan especially are some of my less favorite movies, so I don't love being on those worlds to uh, begin with. I get it. Okay. Um, I think I, – I, I think uh, Monstro is a bad offender as well. I think Deep Jungle and, and Monstro are the two worst in the game just because there's so many – particularly with Tarzan and the falling off of stuff and not oh, being I sure. Like, like from the treetop where you jump off specifically can take you to different areas. I know it. I know, which like is, you know, it's it's laudable in that it's obvious they were trying to go for something cool there, like make it, you know, for a PS2 era game to like know where you fell off and to kind of like approximate where that would land you if this was a real treehouse. Like that's cool in theory, but in practice, it's no fun. Yeah, so it could be a little confusing in that way. And then Alice has the whole you have to go into the room at different angles from different places and do certain things. I mean, I think that it is pervasive in the whole first game. Um, 
it was a case of not having a lot of power for each world, so just making them – they're very compact small worlds when you get down to it. It's yeah. just figuring out how to get around them. And that was that was done – yeah, it sounds like very intentionally because of the limited resources. You could have a small world that still had a good duration um, and that brought you through like different rooms so that you could be funneled so that you could you know fight different waves of Heartless and the triggers would work and all that kind of stuff. So I can see why they did it. Um, but man, have a guide ready, dude, because yeah, otherwise it's frustrating. It's something that definitely gets alleviated in uh, the sequel. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, how how does the game compare to the sequel? Like, I'm loving this one. How am I gonna like the second one? Uh, it's hard to say so far. I'm not that far into the sequel. I just started it uh, yesterday because mm-hmm. I played through Chain of Memories, um, and that took. 20 hours as well wow it's a long game dude the graphics on the on the i know you said that it's wonky in one uh, i guess in a tweet you, you tweeted but um at the same time i also uh looked at some like a walkthrough or like a, a online just to look at what it looks like it, the graphics look amazing um no i i didn't i don't have any problem well no no okay um graphically it is it is great uh the things that's wonky the, the wonky stuff is um because it's based on a 2D game, it doesn't really because it, it keeps the structure of how Chain of Memories worked in terms of its rooms and their setups. So if you turn the camera to try to look where, like, if, an isometric view keeps you very solidly looking one way, but this is a 3D camera. So when you turn the camera, it's just a void of space because you uh, can't go that way. I see. And that was what was weird about it. Um, but no, I mean, it uses all of the same assets from Kingdom Hearts One. Uh, I see. For PS2. So, I mean, like, you're going to... In fact, all of the storyline elements that, that the, like, the, the short videos take place in the environments from Kingdom Hearts. Uh, it's when you go to, the like, the rooms that are just sort of made of the assets from each world that they look different. I see. I see. Okay. So, tell me... Um, what uh what is that game like gameplay wise like i tried to figure it out so right now when i play kingdom hearts like i basically just attack with x i jump and attack uh once in a while i'll throw spells and then even rarer than that i'll scroll down to do a summon or an item and that's how i play the game so most of it i'm not using that little menu on the left primarily for combat um what how does chain of memories work in terms of like the actual execution i understand it's card based so you build a deck out of out of cards, and as you level up, you get more CP, which is how many how many card points your deck can have, and each card has a value. Um, and it works in a way that you uh, you you each keyblade in the game has it. You you end up getting cards for them as you go to each world, and any keyblade card can be of a value zero to nine, and the higher the number. Uh, the more points it is with zero being the highest because of how zero works differently um, from other stuff in the game. Uh, But basically, you know, if you have a card in your deck and you are on it and you hit X, you will do that card. And so if it's a keyblade swing, you'll swing your keyblade. And if you have three in a row and you hit XXX, you'll do a combo just like you would in kingdom hearts. I mean, it looks exactly the same. It's hit, hit, hit. And then usually with a flourish at the end where you knock the enemy. So if you have three cards in a row that are all hits, it automatically triggers these flourishes. As long as you successfully pull them all off. Okay. Um, alternatively, you can stack cards together in a thing called a slight, which is where you just kind of hit triangle and it'll go to the top of the screen. And when you have three up there, you can hit triangle again and you'll pull off all three cards, whatever they may be in a row. Um, and that's interesting because 
uh, as you go through the game, you'll learn new slights where the specific cards you put can trigger different things, like having three nines in a row will activate um, a certain move, or having three cards of different Keyblade types that add up to 20 to 23 will activate Blitz, and you'll do that move. Oh, okay. Uh, instead of having Fyra and Fyriga spells, if you stack three fires, they'll you'll cast Fyriga. If you stack two fires, you'll stack you'll cast Fyra instead. Now the cards are they only ever attack moves? No. So the red are the attack, and that's your Keyblade stuff. Uh, blue is going to be either your Fire, Thunder, I, uh, Blizzard, all those, or it's going to be your summons, which are all the same summons from Kingdom Hearts, except for Cloud is added as a summon. But how does that work? Like, if you're hitting, if you, because you can't be like picking cards when you're playing. No, yeah, you are. How do you do I mean, that? You can, you, you, you can rotate through your deck. I mean, your deck is set up how you set it up in the menu, and you can use left trigger or and right trigger or the um, D-pad to rotate through your cards as you go. Oh, okay. So you, so you have it set up where you'll have like three attacks in a row, and then you just go bam, 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 and then you can scroll back and go bam, bam, bam again. Uh, well, no. As you use cards, they get um, thrown out of your di deck to the discard pile, and you have to actively reload your deck to bring them all back. Oh, man. It sounds really tricky, actually. And then every time you – the other thing is every time you use a slight, um, it uh, – the first card of the slight, so whichever one you send up there first, gets permanently removed till the end of battle. Oh, okay. Um, and then there are premium cards that cost a lot less to put in your deck, but they're one-use cards. But then there's also green cards that are items like Potion and Mega Potion that can quickly reload your deck or can reload all cards in your deck, even the ones that have been permanently discarded. Um, but what same if, with your magic cards. What if you're fighting a dude and like you run into a string of cards that are bullshit, that are like fucking shit you can't use or whatever? Like a bunch of potions or stuff or your or spells and you don't have any magic points or, or is there ever a time when you get to like well, a no, dead there's spot no, there's in your no deck? MP. There's not okay. MP or anything. But you, you ever you run just... into oh, go ahead. I mean, if you have a card and you can use it, you can use it. The thing is, those numbers are what matter, because if you cast a three card, but your opponent can break it if they cast a four or higher card on top of it. But what I'm saying um, is, is there ever a point when you run into, like, a dead spot in your deck? Because if all the cards aren't attack cards and you're just basically mashing X, how does that work? Uh, I mean, that's part of the combat. You have to get... You have to know what cards are in your deck and how to use them. And when it's time to be like, all right, I'm going to use my summons now, or should I go ahead and, and charge up my reload so my whole deck will go back to the beginning? I mean, I that's see. part of the strategy. I see. Okay. So, like, but, but when you have dudes all around you, it seems like it would get chaotic. You're trying to figure out what card to use, and you're trying to attack well, the, in real the time. The important thing to note is that if you're in the middle of an attack, if your opponent can't break it, only one action is ever going at a time. If you're attacking, the enemy is not attacking. Um, oh. unless they have, Unless they cast a card that is higher than your value or a zero. Oh, zero so it's one-offs. Yeah, zeros will break any combo, but in turn can be broken by any combo. So zeros work where you kind of have to know the right timing for them. Um, oh, so it's turn-based. More or less. I mean, it's fully active, but if one heart, if one shadow is doing its kick move, nobody else is going. I see. Okay. Okay, got it. All right, now it makes a lot more sense to me. I thought it was just flying off the <laughs> at all times. And like, no, you're so supposed a big to part be... of it is... I am attacking, let me, or, or I'm using a slight, so let me go ahead and rotate my deck to where I want it to be when I'm finished. Oh, okay, got it, got it, so I'm ready for whatever I want to follow up with. Uh, yeah, and then 
Uh, it's a very interesting game. I'm writing my article on it right now because I have finished it uh, for the site, thedrovegeek.net. Um, and what's it, it's honestly it's one of the most fun gameplay systems ever. It holds up really well, especially once you get back into it. Um, I think there are some weird things about it. Uh, Sora and Riku play completely differently because you play as Riku in his storyline after you beat the main campaign. Uh huh. And is that and, just as long and just as important? It's significantly shorter because uh, Riku goes to all the same worlds, but he doesn't like he doesn't live through the Disney movies. Um, but it's much more important to the mythology of the universe because it's all the whole story is built around uh, basically Riku and stuff with Organization 13. So it's it's both less and more important. Uh, it's a weird game. I kind of okay. wish Riku had gone first or that his playstyle was implemented because whereas Sora can customize his deck and has a bunch of different slights, uh, Riku has a set deck for each floor. Um, and he can also turn into dark mode, and he has this thing called dark points uh, and attack points. So he plays completely differently. But I think playing as Riku teaches you the game better because it puts limitations and kind of turns boss fights into puzzles because some floors will have very tiny decks that you have to learn how to properly uh, utilize. And then he can also duel opponents, where if he casts the same number card as them, uh, they get into this face-off mode. And I think it just does a better job of suggesting strategy and how to play properly. Whereas Sora, I think it comes down to, let me stack my deck with a bunch of nine cost cards and level up my CP and just sort of, you can brute force the game very easily. I and see. he also has this very easy to spam uh, Blitz as an ability. I specifically mentioned it and its costs because against the organization members that you fight towards the end of the game, you can just spam the heck out of that and just win fights very easily. So 23. Uh, 20 to 23, yeah. Okay. So now, uh, how different is the story from the first game? So, like, my understanding is you're basically playing through the memories of the first game. So is it the same story? In each Disney world, yes. The story mainly plays out in the halls of Castle Oblivion, which is where Sora and Riku both are during the game. Uh -huh. And you're, like, climbing floors. In those parts you are meeting the members of Organization 13 and learning a bit about them and what their whole deal is. And um, Sora's whole deal is they're kind of erasing his memories by doing stuff to try and rewrite his brain. It's kind of a ridiculous story in that aspect, but it's very integral. I mean... And it's it, good, too, in a way. I mean, it is what it is. I don't think... Again, I haven't played all the future games again yet, but I don't think Kingdom Hearts ever really recovers because it gets so anime by the end. But mm -hmm. we'll see what I think this time through. Um, but I think that game is... It is surprising how necessary they made a Game Boy game uh, because Kingdom Hearts 2 follows directly off the end of Chain of Memories. I mean, if you went from one to the next... You'd have it no would idea. Be, it would be confusing. Well, I had no idea. I tried playing Kingdom Hearts 2 back in the day, and I kind of knew kind of what Kingdom Hearts 1 was, but I was like, what on earth? Who's Roxas? And I get that he's the nobody and all this shit, but, like, what is the deal? And it went on forever. Like, it wasn't just, like, that first part of the Sora game. I feel like the, the Roxas shit is much longer, unless I'm wrong. It's, I, you know, it's, it's not as long as I remember. It only took about... Three, two and a half, three hours to get through. Oh my through. god, that's all? Oh my god, it's so long. And it's just a collect-a-thon, right? No, no, it has different things, and it's got, you know, it's where you you meet up with a bunch of different Final Fantasy characters, so that's fun. Oh, okay. Um, I don't it know. I think like it's going to be better this time for me, just like this game, just like one is better. 
having already put about 40 hours between the two games, a three hour, you know, break from intensity wasn't that bad. That's a great point. That's a great, well said, well said. That's um, a really good but I'm point. En- I'm enjoying it so far. The sequel, um, it is definitely, uh, much more story driven at the beginning and introduces a lot of new concepts. And I mean, there's a lot to that story that isn't even explained. I mean, a lot of the backstory for Roxas is hinted at and doesn't get explained fully until the three, five, eight over two days game, <laughs> which is now just a movie, but I'm going to watch it when it was released originally. So there's still a bunch of stuff that's like, what's going on? Oh, wait. So you're, so you're doing, you're doing Kingdom Hearts one, um, chain of memories, then two, then yeah. three fifty eight. Yeah. Then birth by sleep and then coded. Okay. Got it. Which is not how the order is on the thing and the order in the thing. It's, one chain of memories then 358 then kingdom hearts 2 yeah and you could do it either way it's one of those things where it's just what order do you want reveals i guess but i mean honestly the reason they did it in the game or when they made the packs is because you didn't want the 2.5 collection to be two and then two films right (laughs) right 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 okay got it or birth by sleep in two films because they could have done it that way but you know the point being they had to balance it somehow yeah no that that makes sense um but but so you think that it's probably the best way to do it would be the way they intended, though? Yeah, I would go with release order. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And then alternatively, you know, I'll get to 2.8 at some point and all the nonsense that goes on there. Well, dude, Dream Drop. Yeah, Dream, Dream... Drop and the, chap, the, uh, the the fragmentary passage and the weird movie with the people in animal masks. Yeah, but Dream Drop is sweet, apparently. It looks really cool. Like, the gameplay looks fun. I did not like it when I played it. So what do you do? It's more of the same. Honestly, you're just fighting dream eaters instead of heartless or nobodies. Okay. All right. Um, again, my biggest problem is how anime soaked it's gotten as opposed to telling stories. And by the time dream drop came out, I was like, really, we're going back to Traverse town and all of these areas we've already been to again. Uh, That's true. Uh, You know, at this point I'm just, plowing through i'm not plowing through i'm enjoying my time with it but, but you we'll want to yeah you want to get the whole sense of the whole thing and now there's, there's never been a better time to do it with these releases so that's cool three is on the hypothetical horizon yeah so. i'd say 2019 is probably pretty pretty likely cool um alrighty. well um is, did you have any other ones to talk about um no that was it on games for me uh, uh well i have one more brief one um and that is splatoon 2 um so i picked that up um splatoon 2 is fun so I played the first one, just to give you a little backstory. I played the first one on the Wii U when I picked up a Wii U for the second time. Um, and the, you know, the idea, what I'm really looking for in that game is a single player. I've heard it's a lot like, I had heard it's a lot like uh, Mario Sunshine. And, you know, it's got about 25 levels in the first one. And, you know, it's okay. Um, the single player is fun. You get to use all the mechanics. You get to use about three different weapons by the time it's done. Um, it's it's a, it's a cool thing. But, um it 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 really doesn't it doesn't feel fully fleshed out and the and the multiplayer is fun especially for me because this is a game where um you don't have to attack people if you don't want to if you just want to like the idea is um it's for people that don't know what splatoon is i'm sure everybody does who listens to this podcast but um you're basically you have an ink gun this is nintendo's take on a first person shooter um you obviously don't kill anybody um because it's nintendo and they don't want that uh geist i think was the last time they went in that direction 
Um, and uh, I love talking about that because that was something early on when we were hanging out that, like, I mentioned Geist and you knew what I meant. And I was like, all right, th- this dude knows what's up. Um, but anyway, the uh, it, you know, it, it's – you basically use paintball guns instead of guns. And you have to ink the floor. It's called Turf Wars, the main mode that's like the quintessential Splatoon mode. And you basically ink the floor up with your paint and uh, by the end it gets tallied up which team it's it's four four v four by the end you find out like which team inked up the floor more and obviously you can shoot other dudes and take them out of commission so that they can stop inking the floor and you get to ink it up more basically but what's really cool about this game and what i didn't really get to the play enough of the first one to get to the point is that the mobility options and the way those play into the other mechanics are phenomenal so the idea here is that you obviously can shoot ink but the way you reload is you shoot ink on the ground or somebody else does. But if your color ink is on the ground, you can turn into a squid. So you're a squid kid. You're this little dude. And you have like little squiddy little head dress on. Uh, but it's like your head, I guess. It's some kind of like, you know, future world where there's squid kids. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and so you can turn into an actual squid. And so when you do that, you basically drop into the ground, and you're this little squid creature, and you soak up the ink that's on the ground, and that's how you reload. Also, you can run really fast when you're in the ground. So it's basically like a little – it's kind of like if you've played any of those games where there's like a uh, a warp where like you like drop into the ground and warp over to another place and then pop back up again, if you can imagine that. It's like that, but you're controlling where you warp to. So you basically drop into the ink, and anywhere where it's your color ink, you have tremendously fast mobility. So you're just flying, racing around the ink. So when you're playing this game, when it's designed really well or when you're in a really good multiplayer match, you can create like a racetrack or your own pathways for travel. So not only when you shoot are you thinking about hitting the enemy or even inking turf for the point of turf war, you're also thinking about how do I give myself an escape route perhaps or a pathway into enemy territory or just a good place to go retreat and – and ink and reload or you know just to make sure that you're inking the way area around you so when you need to reload you can so all of these things are considerations and i never played the first one enough to really get into that and the single player wasn't deep enough well the, the second one has now come out came out pretty quickly it's about two years after the launch of the first one. First one was a huge hit and splatoon 2 had an extra thing that really had me interested it's called salmon run and it's their version of a horde mode. Um, horde mode, for those who don't know, is like firefight in Halo or horde mode in Gears. Um, it's cooperative, and you know, two to four players get together and they take on waves of baddies. Um, in this one, there um, these like salmonids, which are like these little sa- salmon creatures. And there's like there's there's mobs of little guys that come out of the water and try to attack you in these levels. There's two levels right now, and they're just you know basically geometry that you work around that's very well designed for your squid and your ink and your mobility and then there's um big salmonids that come there's salmonid bosses and they roll up and each of them has a different way to take them out like one of them like develops a big bomb on its head and wants to throw it at you but you have to shoot that bomb really really fast many times you can before he gets to throw it and then it explodes on his head and it becomes your color ink and kills him so that's how you take out that one there's one that's a shark and it's it like basically creates a circle under where you are and it, you have to you have to roll out of that circle and then it pops up and then you have to shoot it from elsewhere and then you do that a couple times till it dies there's ones that are like a big shower of of ink and you have to like figure out where the back of the shower is and kill it so it's just really cool bosses that you have to take out it's really hard so the the way they do the difficulty is percentage based from 5% to 100 and the 5% is hard and the 10% like we didn't even beat 
Like, we only played it a little bit, but, like, it's that hard. Now, once you learn the tactics and the mechanics really well, of course, you can start to get up to, you know, 20 and 30. But past that, I was playing two-player with a friend of mine. Beyond that, I would say you probably need more than two people for sure, beyond, like, 10 or 20%. But it's really mm-hmm. fun. Um, it's really – you really have to work together. you got to have at least a person near you because the only way you get back up when you get killed is somebody, like – you basically you, – you, when you die – you're in a life raft and somebody else has to shoot ink at you and then you come back out and you can keep fighting so just like in all these games you revive each other so it's crucial that you stay together it's it's really fun i haven't played that enough to really know how much how addictive it's going to be long term um but the multiplayer i haven't even touched because that's not really the gamer that i am although i plan to but what i've really been playing is the single player and the single player when i first heard about it it was like the first game had like 25 or 30 levels and the way it was was there were five little worlds hub worlds and like each one had these five teapots you drop into the teapot it shoots you to a level and it basically just takes you through some interesting mechanics and you're basically just shooting enemies and you know getting going from one place to the next there's a geyser that launches you to each platform it's a lot like uh, super mario Galaxy and that you shoot from like little platforming area to another platforming area much like the planetoids in that game and then it's like sunshine that you know you're shooting ink much like the water in that game and you know you have to you know accomplish certain goals um and it's it's fun but the problem is it was very limited and when i heard about this new game it was like there's only going to be 36 levels it's going to be that same format where there's five hub worlds and each one has a few more levels and there's going to be 36 this time but generally it would be the same format and i was really disappointed i was hoping for like a full-fledged mario like single player which i guess was a lot to hope for but regardless that's what i wanted well playing it i was so happily surprised about eight levels in because what happens is after the first five levels you're playing with the basic gun in this one and then by the by the second hub area there's this dude named sheldon and he's like the gun expert and he's testing out new weapons so every level you play you have to use one of eight different weapons and then every other level of the 36 you have to use a different weapon so um and you can play all eight weapons through all 36 levels. So right there, the depth of this game is, is immense. And so one of the levels, just to give you perspective, we'll use the Splat Charger. That's a sniper rifle, and so you have to charge it, but it shoots really far. Well, some of the challenges in that level that's designed first to use that weapon have things that are really far away from you. But apparently, when you choose a different gun with a shorter range, the actual geometry of the level slightly changes to make it playable with the new weapon which to me is just like awesome. I mean, they really thought this through to give it tremendous replayability. It's got five bosses. It's got these great levels. It doesn't just try to like in the old game, even though there were like only 26 levels, like five or six of them were basically just turf wars, but like you play against bots. I mean, it really was, you know, just what you'd expect from like a multiplayer game that tacks on single player. This one is not like that at all. It's super fun. The level designs are amazing. There's grind rails. Each one, you know, each like couple levels introduces a new mechanic, like these roll up things that you, when you shoot them with ink, they roll out, but then you can walk over them like a bridge, but then they can roll back up and and hit you and then you fall off and die. Um, there's different kind of enemies with shields and enemies that fly and enemies where you have to shoot a special weak point and they explode. I mean, just really fun shit. But what I found in playing the game more and more 
is what makes Splatoon 2 brilliant is the mobility option. So the guns are fun and all that stuff's cool. But what's really great is like once you start getting your groove and you learn how to ink up an area so that you can basically bomb all around under the water and then just pop up and pop a dude and then like pop back down and zip away. When you pop back up, your ammo is refilled. You start to feel really proficient and powerful and cool, not because the game has made you more powerful, but because your skill set has improved. And that, uh-huh. and that is really a sign of an excellent game. So anyway, uh, so far I'm about five hours, six hours of playtime, and I'm really, really loving Splatoon 2. So. That's good to hear. Yeah. It's one I'd like to try out. It's uh, it's good. It's definitely – I would say just totally skip the first game. I mean the single player in the first game might be worth a quick playthrough, but I wouldn't even bother. Everything that game does is done better in the sequel. So. Cool. Um, and I think that takes us through what we've been playing, Jordan. All right. So let's talk about – more Nintendo. Okay, awesome, awesome. Uh, Nintendo that we've both played, though, in this case, um, which is uh, the N64. Um, so let's hear about your origin story with the N64, man. Uh, well, I honestly, it's weird It's weird to say. No, it's not fully true. I was going to say it's my first Nintendo system, but it is my first Nintendo home system. I did have a Game Boy before that, but okay. um, I was a Sega Genesis kid, so I had a Genesis for the beginnings of my life. Uh, and then eventually it came time to get the next generation and Sega didn't, I guess they had the Saturn, but nobody knew what that was. And it Mm -hmm. came out weirdly. It was a mess. Uh, so I just, as a, as a gift, when I was a kid, I was, you know, five, six, seven, I think I got an N64 and, uh, it was a mind blowing experience. I mean, it's (laughs) such a huge step forward in gaming history. Um, However well any of those games might hold up today is always a big question. But at the time, seeing 3D was a a just seeing it and getting to play in it and having a, a stick that controlled movement in more than four directions. It was uh, it was crazy. And I, I think a lot of people had that response, um, how, whatever their age was, because it was a big deal in gaming. Interesting. So I didn't have nearly as... Um as impressive of an experience with it for me this the i had an nes i'm a bit older than you uh, i had an nes had a game boy super nintendo was the one kind of like it sounds like the the n64 was for you super nintendo was the system that i just was obsessed with i mean we, you know had all the games for like the super scope and the uh you know and the the link to the past and and, and mario world those games that i just fell in love with when the 64 came out I found it kind of awkward in a lot of ways. So I liked Super Mario 64, but even to this day, I don't love it. I always felt like the 3D in those games was unrefined to the point where I just couldn't really get into it fully. So I liked Super Mario 64, but that stick on that controller just really irked me. It felt like a it felt like a stick on like a really bad controller I had for like my old Apple computer, like this like weird like super precision odd stick. It didn't feel like a video game controller. It felt like a like a weird like pointing device on like a weird esoteric PC to me. Never felt comfortable. <laughs> I hated holding it from the middle. It made me feel completely out of whack. And so I just never really got into the console itself. But because of the fact that it had so many good games like Ocarina, like um, 1080 Snowboarding, uh, and like a, a bunch of others that we'll talk about, it really was a system that I ended up playing a lot more despite the fact that I didn't love the hardware. Um, so I guess that was my take on it. Well, I think, in in complete fairness, I don't want to say I was blown away or that it was a, a fully life-changing. Again, I was six, seven, maybe eight. I'm trying to remember, because I think Banjo-Kazooie was out by the time I, I got one, so probably seven. Uh-huh. Um, when you're that age, anything is impressive. Right, right, sure. 
uh, granted, I think the N64 is hugely impressive for what it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's um, groundbreaking. Couldn't, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't think of it as defining my childhood because it is a system that, uh, by the time it was all said and done, it had a lot of classics, but it, it definitely was one of the first Nintendo systems to run into that problem that is pretty common nowadays of where the game's at again. Um, because it had a very lethargic release schedule. Yes, it did. I mean, it was it was a lot. It was kind of the first system that had that problem. In the end, when all was said and done, 388 games were launched for the N64. So that is not that many. Um, when you look at a system, and it was what a five year lifespan. Yeah, I mean, it had a, it had a good duration. Um, so I'm going to give a couple. Speaking, being that we're at this point now, I'm going to give a couple little facts on um, the N64. Um, so first of all, uh, it released on uh, june 23rd 96 after multiple delays so you know that's pretty typical um uh console releases don't usually have delays anymore but they used to um and same thing with a lot of games so nintendo definitely delays stuff until it's ready um the game system released with pilot wing 64 and super mario 64 and there was a third game that released in japan but never released here um it launched at 199.99 Initially, it was going to be 250, but they dropped it down to 200 because they needed to compete with the Saturn and the PS1. This seems such a quaint price now. I know that's what I thought when I saw it. I was like, "Wow, that's 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 yeah, economical." Again, inflation, but still, sure, but still, um, it sold 32.93 million units. That's the estimate that I saw. Um, so that, that's that's sizable. It's certainly no sales of the Wii or the 3DS, but um, it is sizable. Or, or maybe I'm wrong about the 3DS, but I know the Wii and the DS sold a lot. Um, anyway. And um, there were some peripherals that were interesting for it that'll be fun for us to talk about. Um, one thing about the the controller, um, a lot of there's a lot of talk um, that the controller was designed specifically for Mario 64. Um, a lot of uh, people that worked, you know, on the system and the game back then have come out sort of against that rumor and said, you know, they were they were worked on in tandem. You know, the needs of that game definitely helped define what that controller came to be but it really was just all about creating that that full immersion into a 3d world and mario 64 just happened to be the first game to show us that but that wasn't like you know ground central um for uh you know why they designed the controller the way they did um but they needed analog control and they implemented it in the clunkiest worst way i could possibly imagine but there you are it was there um it's not elegant <laughs> Another really interesting thing about it was that there was an ability, talk about inelegant, to dual wield two N64 controllers, one in each hand. You would hold the middle parts of the controller, so it's this weird, like, three-tiered octopus-looking controller, and, like, you hold it in the middle on both controllers, and then use the two triggers, and then the two things, and it was basically, you know, like two analog sticks, like something like the PlayStation 2 has, right? Um, and... It, there were games that actually, you know, really people swore by playing it that way. At least somebody that I never met did. Um, one of them was Robotron 2084. Star Wars Episode One Racer used that. GoldenEye 007 and Perfect Dark were all the re were the two that really people got into. And that was really the first time you could have a console, you know, FPS experience on that level. Um, and then, let's see, um, 388 games were released. Um, oh, yeah. The biggest cartridges held 64 megabytes um, on them. So that is one-tenth, roughly, of what a CD-ROM could hold. 
And that was always the limitation with the N64. So Nintendo was really stubborn. It took them all the way until the GameCube to finally do a disc, and they still wouldn't do a regular disc. They had to do those little mini discs. They just didn't want to go full disc-based. And, and now they're cartridges again. Right, right, which is which is fine because the price has gone way down and, and cartridge no, storage sure. space has gone way up. But back then, their stubbornness led to really one of the main reasons why there were probably so few games third parties didn't want to manufacture cartridges the costs were astronomical compared to what it cost to do a, um uh you know a cd printing which is you know pennies um and it famously lost them final fantasy it did and it also uh, meant that you know 64 mags is on a cartridge 650 mags on a cd-rom so more than 10 times. Um, and, and right, you can't have cutscenes on a 64 meg. And if you did, they would be so pixelated and ruined. I mean, just take a look at something like Doom 64, and you'll see what like happens when you try to do a big StarCraft game. 64. Oh, that's the, that's the best example. Exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's ludicrous. Um, and then they had some really weird ideas that they did, too. So one of them was the 64DD which was a disk drive um, that was released only in Japan and never made it here. It also had a weird online component um, with some kind of service in Japan that launched and then failed really bad. Another weird thing they did was called the Expansion Pack. Do you remember that? Oh, I do, yeah. And that was for games like Castlevania Legacy of Darkness and Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Um, and they optionally used the Expansion Pack to add a high-resolution mode of 640 by 480 which is amazing i didn't know this or i never put two and two together but this is literally the precursor to the ps pro and the xbox scorpio or the one x because literally and they gave you an option some of them check this out duke nukem zero hour offered the user the choice to choose between increased resolution or increased frame rate which to me is like that's just what the PS Pro lets you do now with, with those special, like, updated options they, they patch into games to let you choose, like, which benefit you're going to get. It's almost like an RPG. It's like, which blessing will the goddess give you today? <laughs> uh, it's really crazy to me um, that, that that did that. So anyway, um, that was a big factor. And there were two other things. Um, the Rumble Pack, which still blows my mind that it wasn't integrated into the controller. It was big, it was gnarly, and it was whack. Um, and you can only use one at a time. So you couldn't use the Expansion Pack and the Rumble Pack. I think one of them, some of them had like a like a pass through that you could use. Um, I don't really, and then it got even more gnarly. But the last thing was the controller pack. So this is an extra memory card, and it plugged into that same port on the back of the controller. And the problem, like I said, there was only 388 games, and a big part of that, and the lack of third party support, was how expensive it is to make these cartridges. And it was even more expensive to make the 64 meg cartridges, the, the full sized ones. And it was even more expensive to include memory space you know a battery backup and memory on your cartridge so a lot of third parties required the use of the controller pack because it allowed you to store your game saves where you couldn't otherwise because they just literally didn't want to include one for cost of manufacturing um so this was as you can tell i think when you look at all of this stuff together uh you know a very groundbreaking but also very clunky machine um with a lot well, of sure go ahead i mean well yeah obviously it's clunky, but it was it was that's kind of the point. That's what you expect with something that's taking the first steps mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. a completely new way of doing games. And what's interesting to me is just looking back, it's like, I, I, I remember the expansion pack and the rubble pack existing. I also remember never touching them. Um, yeah. uh, the one time I did was I, I was able to play Majora's Mask with a friend because I, I, re I rented Majora's Mask 
because I was excited to play it, uh, and it required the expansion pack, so it was kind of SOL on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it was uh, I think Donkey Kong sixty four was the other game that required it, which um, which is a humongous game, so it's kind of understandable why it would. Um, but that was it, 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 that that expansion pack is 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 crazy to me that you know and and then again though there were things like the thirty two XX that came out or you know mm-hmm. the different CD ROM add ons for things like you know the other for things like the Genesis I think had Sega CD right um, yeah and things like that so a lot of people you know a lot of these companies had been doing these ways to like supercharge your system um, but this is one of the most unique ones and the weirdest part is that it was offloaded. Um, Actually, no. I think the expansion pack went into the console, right? And then everything else went into the controller. Is that right? Is that how that works? I, I vaguely remember. Again, I, I never really messed a lot with it. Um, I don't know. I think to an extent, like you mentioned Sega CD and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think looking at it in context of its era, this was a time when you got a lot more stuff like that. I mean, compared to nowadays when everything is kind of digital downloads and, you know, at most the PSVR... Yeah, it's weird that there were so many additional hardware things, but additional hardware things were kind of the norm back then. Um, you know, when you had handhelds that needed uh, to be plugged into the wall all the time with stuff, mm-hmm. or or would drain batteries super fast, or you'd have a bunch of crazy accessories all the time. So I think it was definitely of its era. But yeah, they were definitely clunky as they were trying to, they they were overreaching because they made a system that couldn't do things that I think they wanted to do. And I think that's kind of always Nintendo's deal is mm-hmm. they they end up overreaching and you end up with things like we motion plus a few years after the system came out yeah um yeah and it's which just like finally we... which finally like fulfilled the potential of, of motion control uh in the Wii in the Wii landscape because it used to be just so like you move it and it like kind of jerks around it got so much better with that yeah um but you know looking at it just strictly hardware was i don't know i think the controller gets a bad rap it's not a great controller i don't want to fully defend it but it's essentially they were like, how do we put a stick on this and make it wieldy? Because um, if you look at it, if you take that middle prong out, it's basically a bulkier SNES controller. Mm, it's just okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, it's a weird little thing. I I don't remember it it's being a big stick. issue. It's the stick is the problem for me. The stick's I, not great. I wish that that if it had been like a stick I could use and it had been on the right on the left side instead of being in that middle nub like put the d-pad in the middle if it has to be there because most of the games they they made need that stick they're almost all 3d games very few of them it's almost like they wanted to move forward with progress but they also didn't want to commit and that seems to be another you know Nintendo tradition you know is they, they go so far but they don't go all the way like if the Wii U had been the switch or even gone closer to the switch it could have been the hit that the switch looks like it's gonna turn out to be they just like they only go so far and it's like they were like yeah motion I mean uh, uh, analog control is everything but we're gonna put it in the middle so you got to hold the controller in a whack way where your hands are literally butting up against each other sure like, I mean in fairness to Nintendo that was four and a half years before the switch so there was a lot of development they would have had to do and at that point the Wii U was already showing its age so or the Wii the Wii was already showing its age by seven years mm-hmm, in and mm-hmm. already being an underpowered system so I mean you know th- there I think it was just a matter of not fully knowing what to do mm-hmm. um, but no but, I agree again, I agree it, it's just that that idea of the gamepad was would have been great if it hadn't been like the implementation that it had, and of course, if it hadn't been for the Wii U, there wouldn't be you know a Switch probably, and and, and I and I'm I'm grateful that there was one because the Switch has turned out to be very cool. But nonetheless, it's 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 you I know, mean I it's think, a half step. I think a lot of what we consider definitive controller setup now, you know, would have been experimental back then. 
Like, it, it wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion, oh, if we put the stick right next to the D-pad, it's going to be way easier for people to use back and forth. I mean, it seems obvious now, but who knows what the development process was on something like that. No, absolutely. And and, and it is, like I said, it's revolutionary. It's just for me. And, and, and again, it isn't even for me about like, was it a good controller or not? Does it, was it revolutionary or not? To me, it made the N64 a system I didn't enjoy playing. It was so to me that it couldn't be worse. You know, it doesn't matter if it was very smart and well designed <laughs> or had good reasons for the decisions they made. In in practice, and and in practice is playing video games on it. I couldn't play it. I hated it. Um, but you know, there were certain games that let me use the D pad, like fighting games, and that really made a difference. Um, but something like Mario Super Mario sixty four, I wasn't even able to enjoy it fully because Mario would always like go too far or just not perform like quite like I wanted him to because the stick didn't have the smoothness. It felt like an all or nothing stick. Like you're moving it, and like to just do a little movement was very hard. It always wanted to go flying fully in that direction. Like it almost like had a spring in it that wanted to go snap and like make him go flying off these very <laughs> you know narrow ledges. So I mean, anyway. you know, fair enough. I, I for me it was never a problem back yeah. in the day. I wish but... I liked it more. Yeah. Um, I, I think, again, a, a big part of it was just how young I was and how it was what it was. And, yeah. you know, when you're that age, you play bad games and love them because you don't. That's true. You're just happy to be playing a video game. Man, my um, example of that is The Adventures of Bayou Billy, dude. I played the hell out of that horrible train wreck. So <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I do think, obviously, it could have been better. I've had an N64 controller in my hand since then and messed around with it. It's not great. Right. The stick is definitely way too uh, rigid. And a little, it's weird to feel with that, like, weird grooving on it. Oh, oof, oof. It's, oof, I hate it. It reminds me of a, I know what it reminds me of. Uh, there's this, the, the Gravix or something like that used to make, uh, like those 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 joysticks for like old like Ataris or whatever, but not not even Atari sticks had that rubber on them, you know. So they had like a lightness to them, so they didn't just go flying. And anyway, I, I've said my piece on that controller was busted, but I think it would be a good idea. Let's start talking about the games. Um, so I made a list here of the ones that are significant to me for some reason. So um, do you have a list as well, or what? Where, where are you with that? I mean, game wise, I got the ones I really like. I you know I know the ones that are uh groundbreaking and important so yeah we can just discuss the ones we want to talk about okay cool so i'm going to go through this list and when one of these meets up with yours just jump in um we can just sort of talk about this list here um 1080 snowboarding did you play it you know i never played the original i love 1080 avalanche for the uh gamecube uh -huh. but i i never did touch the n64 version so that was that was probably top three for me i know that sounds crazy that was probably one of my top three games on the hey, N64. i love snowboarding games that game especially i just i mean i love doing tricks and fly, just going down that mountain that was super fun but the one that i probably played the most of all of the uh um n64 games was killer instinct um, I played Killer Instinct so much, and we played it. At, we, so we, I was in a band, as as you know, and we actually played Killer Instinct in our store. In our we had like a storage space where we practiced. We had a like a you know a CRT television there, our N sixty four, and it was only there for Killer Instinct. No other games mattered. Killer Instinct Gold, I think it was, was stuck into that machine and it never came out and we would just go C -c -c combo breaker and like talk mad shit to each other as we like flew the you know shot each other across the screen it was a really fun time i love that game i wish i'd get into the nuclear instinct but man we loved that one nice did you ever play it uh no okay that's more uh, of a not when you're seven game you know yeah but i also i wasn't big into fighting games until a way later honestly 
Yeah, until uh, uh, DC versus uh, uh, Mortal Kombat. Not, not that kidding. late. I'm just kidding. Not that late. Or, or yeah. how about Mortal Kombat X, right? No. Yeah, I mean, my fighting game of choice was Smash Brothers, which, of course, got its start on the N64 mm-hmm. uh, and has become probably the biggest franchise they launched out of that system because I can't think of any other games. I can't think the of any th- franchises. The 3D Mario franchise. I mean, you know. sure, but. Which is I... a thing unto itself because they still have both. They do still have both, I guess. But in terms of, like, original IP. I get it. And I know it's a mashup, but y- you know what I mean. Yes, totally. It's a huge game for them. Probably, the, I mean, it's it's the one game that's still selling, you know, copies on the Wii U and 3DS, you know. Um, is that is, is the smash for that. I don't know what they're going to do on, on the Switch, but they'll have to do something soon. Yeah, I, I have to imagine. They'll, they, they, I would imagine they're just going to port it as opposed to making a fully new one, but we'll see. Yeah, it, 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 time will tell. Um, but anyway, so did you play Smash on that or not till later? No, no, I played Smash a lot on that. Um, I remember renting it from Blockbuster uh, several times over and just really having a good time with it. Nice. Um, um, did you happen to play the Banjo-Kazooie games, Jordan? Yeah, uh, a lot. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Uh, the first two games I had for the N64 were Super Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie. Um. Which is a big part of why I immediately like Banjo-Kazooie more, because it was made two years later and was way more polished. Uh, Not that I didn't like Super Mario 64, but man, Banjo-Kazooie blew me away. I loved it. Um, I've loved playing... I don't know that I ever actually got to mention it on here, but uh, Ukulele's been fantastic. You did Um, mention it. You did mention it. We did? Okay, We argued a bit over how I was like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed uh, everything about 3D platformers. That's where that love comes from, from how good Banjo-Kazooie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the uniqueness of those games. Like, they really invented, like, the collect-a-thon and, and, and doing it in a way that it wasn't, like, a, a, you know, a curse word, you know? No, I very specifically remember being in the apartment we lived in at that point, starting that game for the first time, and being just completely blown away by it. So, What was it about it that really made it like so much better than anything else at that point? Just the narrative investment, which I know sounds weird, but at the time, video games did not have story, really, so that it put so much effort into creative characters and world building and just the design of it. And again, moving in 3D and having those options it just it stood apart um and i really loved it cool very cool um and then let's see speaking of that another rare game that was a big deal was conquer's bad fur day um do you remember that i remember it i definitely didn't play that one yeah that one that one was very uh it was it was maybe one of the last games that ever came out it's definitely the what 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 you know people say is the most technically advanced of the n64 uh titles that ever came out just the different things it did uh you know technologically um from a game development perspective, were, were remarkable. But that game was really explicit, especially for a Nintendo property. Yeah. Um, I Honestly, I've, 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 I've messed around with it since then. Um, actually, I think I own it. Because I'm, I'm surprised sure you don't... Part of the rare replay pack. I'm surprised you don't want to just dive back into that. It seems like right up your alley. It probably would be. I just uh, haven't. Um, honestly, Nintendo, or not Nintendo, Microsoft did this weird thing where they gave away a bunch of free games if you watched their conference on Twitch, and I didn't even realize they were doing it, because I just suddenly got a bunch of downloads, and Rare Replay was part of that, so. Wait, what was this? They just, if you had watched, if you streamed through Twitch, their, uh, at Microsoft conference at E3, 
they gave away a this bunch of year. games. Yes. Oh my god, I can't believe like I there didn't was do that. The Rare Replay, The Swapper, um, the, fi- the Last Station, I think, uh, No Time to Explain. It was like four or five games. Oh my god! Um, I can't believe I, I think, blew that. Yeah, Rare Replay was the big one. Yeah, that's the one I want. I wish I had that. That's like I didn't even bucks. know. It just happened. Like we we were we did it because of, uh, Kelsey and I were watching it, and then suddenly we just started getting these weird game downloads. We oh, thought we'd man. been hacked, honestly, because the the there was no announcements. Oh man, what a disappointment! I wish I had that. That you had to watch it live, I think, too, probably. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was at work, so it wasn't possible <laughs> anyway. All right. Um. So let's see what else we got. Donkey Kong sixty four. Did you play that one? Uh, no, it needed uh, the expansion pack. And, oh, uh, that's right. And you never yeah. bought it. Okay. Uh, all right, so here's the big one. This is the elephant in the room, Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, never played it. No. I Actually, you know what? I take that back. I did play a little of it at a, I think, somehow friend of my dad's kid's house or something. I played it on their system, but I never owned it. Well, that was the game that, uh, you know sailed a million dorm rooms i mean that was such a big hit everywhere i went during that time and again it was probably i was of that age everywhere i went people were like dude we're playing goldeneye we're playing goldeneye dude come on man four player goldeneye so because i don't play fps's and i especially didn't back then it was just they need a fourth and i'd sit down just to get shot um and that's all that would happen is i just get shot in the head and that i think that is really one of the origins of me not liking you know, playing multiplayer online. If I really center it back, I think I just learned something about myself just now. Because <laughs> I really think that's like the first place where I felt completely out of control. Like I was just getting shot the fuck up. So, right. Um, anyway, so for neither of us was that important, but that was probably the biggest N64 game, maybe next to Smash or Mario Kart. Um, I did play the Wii remake. <laughs> what What was the Wii remake like? Uh, what was it called, I mean? I think it was Goldeneye Reloaded. Oh, I played that. That was good. I played that too. That I liked because that had a single player campaign. Yeah. Yeah. They replay. No, no. Goldeneye has a single player. I know, but like a playable one. (laughs) Like one that didn't Um, like eat. So, yeah, that was a game. Uh, But no, again, a lot of this for me is just I was very young, so I couldn't. I I just wasn't going to get the M rated games. Right. Or I don't even know if Goldeneye was M rated, but, you know, it it was a shooter. Right. Um, okay, and uh, next up, um, Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards. This game was interesting. It was kind of an easy Kirby Loved game. that game. Did you? That that was one of the ones. Again, mascot platformer. Yeah, um, yes, please. I, I loved – the thing I love most about that game is that you could um, – the and instead of just absorbing stuff, you could fuse different abilities together to make a new ability. Do you, how did you do the fusion? Like, did you suck them both in or what? It was basically, I think you could, you know how sometimes Kirby can, like, pop out his ability and hold on to it or let it, like, disappear for a minute? Oh, yeah. You he shoot do it that. into the other one? Yeah, so I think there were eight basic abilities, so there were 64 total combination oh, abilities. Wow. That's cool. Oh, wow. I see it here. I'm looking at the, this, the thing, and there's two abilities fused together on the bottom right of the screen uh, on your HUD. Yeah. So here he's um, here he's a double rock, which probably means, like, an extra big rock. Yeah, it did stuff like that, and I, I know one of them very specifically was you could get the double-sided lightsaber. <laughs> Ooh, um, and for you, that was, like, it. Yeah, no, I mean, there were a lot of cool ones. They let you do different things and access different things throughout the game. 
Um, it was just a really fun and it was easy. And honestly, I spent a lot of time in that game's, uh, mini game mode. They had one that was sort of like crash bass where you had to paint the ground while walking over it and, wow. and controlling more, um, areas than your opponents. It, it was just ridiculously solid. Well, the thing about the thing about the Kirby games in general, sort of starting back at, um, superstar saga for the, uh, uh super Nintendo was just a phenomenal mini game element to all of these games so they really mastered that and i i didn't know um uh the crystal shards had a big uh a big emphasis on that but it's good to hear i should get back to that i actually have an n64 sitting in my other room and and that game so i should pop it in no it's a fun time word word all right um uh, and then again you know mario kart 64 that was a big one um i didn't uh, play much of it but i played the heck out of that one <laughs> yeah um uh no honestly that's the I, I loved that game. I played a lot of it. The battle mode was fantastic. It's still my favorite Mario Kart title. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, I love Wii. Mine is Wii. I like Wii the best. I had the most fun with Wii. I always hear Wii. I never... I, I don't understand Double Dash. I never really no. liked Double Dash. No. I know that's a fan favorite. Well, um, there, there are people that love that dual mechanic where you both control the cars and shit and they have... You know, it's like it's like a weird vibe. I know we tried to get into it and just couldn't, yeah, so... That, it's, it's weird. Um, and I really liked 8, too. I don't want to disper... I, not like they haven't gotten better in a lot of ways. It's just Mario Kart 64 was such a fantastic time. Yeah, yeah. Word. Okay, cool. Let me get back to my uh, list here. Um, okay, so here's a big one for me, Mario Party. So this is where Mario Party began. And and the first one was a little rough. 2 and 3 are very, very good games. Um, this game, Mario Party really hit its stride on the GameCube. Um, there were like four or five of them on the GameCube, and that's where I mostly enjoyed it, like where I enjoyed it the most. I actually love GameCube. One day we got to do the GameCube discussion. Did you have one? Yeah, oh yeah. I saved I up. That's the first system GameCube. I saved up and bought myself. Purple Lunchbox oh. motherfucker. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, I love some GameCube much more than I liked this system. But... Um, the Mario Party games got their start here, and, and that's really significant because I love those games. I really, really, really love the Mario Party games. I think that they are probably the best implemented like board game in a video game that there's ever been. Now, in recent years, they've made some you know questionable decisions and try to dumb it down to the point where it's not really happening and then they also do the really crazy thing in my mind which is putting tons of them out on portable systems and i just don't get why they do that it's like the ds has two of them the 3ds has two or three of them just like and and everybody has to have a copy of the game i think or even if they don't it's like that's not where i want to play mario party i mean i guess that makes sense at an event like magfest or something but generally speaking like i want it on a console dude come on now <laughs> But um, um, Mario Party, you know, one through three were, were, were where it all started. No, I think I enjoyed the earlier Mario Parties. I don't think, yeah, obviously they haven't had a good one in a while, mm -hmm. which is a shame. It really is. They um, were great. They they really hold their value too, man. Those motherfucking games last forever. I have Mario Party Eight for the Wii sitting over here. I found it at a thrift shop actually, and I'm really happy because they go for like a lot online. Yeah. Um, you ever play Mega Man sixty four? Uh, I played Mega Man Legends, <laughs> but I did not play the Nintendo sixty four version. Oh, oh, it's the same game. It is the same game. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, so what what is, what is Mega Man Legends? Everybody talks about it in hushed tones of reverence. It's just a really fun three uh, 3D third-person shooter game where you play as Mega Man, and it's like the far, far, super far future of the main series timeline. Mm -hmm. I think it's like 7,000X as oh, opposed nice. to 2,000X. Nice. Um, it's... I mean, it's been a long time, but there's a reason that game has a following, because it just did so much, and again, told a really fun story. 
um, and is very memorable for its characters and its world, and uh, it was a fun time. And it, it, it is a bummer that three never happened. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Okay, cool. What'd you play that on, PlayStation? Yeah. Oh, okay. You had a PlayStation 2. Later on, after the N64, like probably a year or so later, because time back then seemed much longer, but it was probably only a it year. Did. It did. Okay. Um, so here's a weird one that I'm like the only guy who likes it. Mortal Kombat Mythologies, colon, Sub-Zero. <laughs> so this game has horrendous reviews. It's like a 23% out of 100 um, um, aggregate. I love it. I think it's mad fun. Um, I remember playing it. I just love the idea of playing. So I like fighting games in theory, and one of my favorite fighting games of all time was the original Mortal Kombat. Once it got to 2 and 3, I was out of my depth. I just couldn't get into it all. But the first one, I knew every fatality. I knew every move. I could do every character's everything. I loved it. My favorite version was the Super Nintendo version. The Genesis version had the blood, but the, the Super Nintendo version played 10 times better. And so I liked that one. Everybody's either liked the Genesis or the Super Nintendo one back then. It was either or thing. Most people liked the Genesis because of the blood, and it was so such an essential element of that series. But Mortal Kombat Mythologies was super fun, and, and I was just really excited about the idea that it was going to be a, a fighting game like that that I could play myself, that I didn't have to play just a match, and when the match was over, that was it. It had a story, albeit a shitty one. It had combat, albeit not that great. But it was just a fun experience to just like go on an adventure with Sub-Zero. Um, so I really enjoyed that game, uh, against all odds. Well, that's cool. I never, I, I always saw it, but I never touched it, obviously. Yeah. Um, wasn't playing the main Mortal Kombat games, I wasn't gonna play this weird spinoff. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I'll tell you, uh, speaking of a game that I'm pretty sure you probably did play, uh, I don't know that I've played the whole thing. Paper Mario. Oh, that's a good game. Yeah. So I, I, I never played, I never played the sequel, unfortunately. Was two um, on this as well? Two was on the GameCube. Okay, so you're talking about uh, the, the Thousand Year Door. Yeah, the Thousand that's Year the best door. one by far, by <laughs> fucking far. Not to, not, I'm not trying to say that to be a dick. Like I think it's pretty universally considered the best. Um, that game is uh, the one that I played. That's the game that got me into Mario Party, and I just think it's a, a masterpiece. It's oh, just sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, it's the last real Paper Mario game yeah. in my mind. Yeah, super. So, super there were Paper only two Mario. of them. Super Paper Mario was 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 wacky i still want to pay uh, play color splash i mean there are people that like stream it and i watched them streaming it and i was like wow that looks like fun yeah uh, I, I, I don't know those games are always so weird the direction they've taken i, I, I would know. like i mean i know the mario and luigi games have more or less taken over that spot i'm excited for the remake this year but oh yeah oh yeah that's soon too actually um and i'm dying to play that let me see what superstar saga i think um i think it comes out real soon in fact let's see here anyway um, okay, so so Paper Mario, great game. Did you play the original? Yes, that yeah, that's how I played it. Um, was I played it completely through, and I, I loved it. Awesome. And um, okay, cool, cool. Um, so how about um, Perfect Dark? Uh, I've played the 360 re-release, but I never played it uh, on that system. Oh, okay. Um, so this is a weird one for me. So the original again. If I wasn't into Goldeneye, I wasn't going to be into into. Uh, into perfect dark because it's just like a more hardcore version of goldeneye for like real hardcores um for me though i'm the one guy as i've said many times uh who likes perfect dark zero which is nuts i know but i never actually you know i touched it very briefly but i didn't have i didn't come away with the fondest memories god damn it superstar saga is fucking october dude <laughs> son of a 
That's unfortunate. And it looks awesome. It's going to have a special added story mode called Minion Quest, the search for Bowser. And you know how I like Bowser's inside story, so I bet you I will love this game. This, this may be game of the year potential here, man. Wow, that looks sweet. It's going to even... It has Amiibo support. I bet you it has its own Amiibos. I'm excited. All right. Um, Resident Evil 2 came out for this system, although that's probably not where anybody played it. Yeah, no, um... I'm trying to see. Obviously, the big ones are we haven't mentioned were uh, directly Ocarina and Majora's Mask both came out on the 64. That's true. That's true, and that, um, those are big deal. Yeah, um, Majora's Mask is still one of my all-time favorite Zelda games. Um, even though you didn't I, play it on that system. No, no. Well, I did play it. Like I said, I I didn't play it on my system. I played it on oh, a friend's okay. system. Um, it. And I didn't finish it all the way, but I just loved everything about it. And when I eventually came back to it, I think it was on the Wii U Virtual Console is where I played it. Um, or the Wii Virtual Console. Uh, really enjoyed it. Played the remake. Um, and I've always enjoyed Ocarina as well. It didn't grab me. Honestly, back in the day, I, I never bought it, so I only ever rented it and never got that far. So uh, but that's a big reason why Majora's is my favorite uh, as well. Cool. So I've never played Majora's. Uh, I just saw how dark it was and gloomy, and I was like, I've just never been in the mood to dive into that. But I understand that it's great. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. Word, word. And then um, obviously Ocarina. I mean, I don't want to give it short shrift, but I mean, it's not it's not my favorite Zelda, but obviously it's the template for every 3D Zelda that came after. Um, my favorite Zelda is Awakening, um, Link's Awakening. So, I mean, I, I think I like... I Huh? Well, no, I would just say it goes without saying that that's a masterpiece yeah, game. Yeah, no we, question. You could, we could do a whole episode on that game alone if exactly. we really wanted to. So. Exactly. Well, well said. There's really not much to talk about. It's, it is it is what it is. It, it, it started so many things that you know continue on today. Um, you don't get um, Breath of the Wild without 64, So or, or yeah. Ocarina. All right, uh, moving forward, we have uh, about seven or eight more. Um, Star Fox 64 um so that's that's interesting that kind of is the game that comes after star fox 2 which never got released but is now coming out on the snes classic which is interesting. the snes classic exclusive game i can't believe that i can't believe that game is I, nintendo has wised up man they wised up they're finally doing like what people want and uh, i think that's great why should you be such a slave to tradition oh you're a japanese company well still yeah Hopefully. Uh, Star Fox 64, I actually never played. Yeah, me I neither. I, I never touched it. Me neither. Oh, you know uh, what? I did play? It's just not a genre. I played it on the 3DS, and so did you, didn't you? Yeah. Yes? No, no, I never Oh, really? I thought it. you did get that. Oh, okay. No. It doesn't interest me. I'm not big on Space Shooter. In fact, I was a fan of uh, Star Fox, what was it, Dinosaur Planet or Star Fox Adventures? Just yeah. because it, had, it was a Zelda game, essentially. Didn't it also have shooter stuff, though? very briefly like you land on the planet and do it and then i think when you leave the planet you do it but other than uh, that it's pretty much just because again it wasn't a Star Fox game originally it was a completely original property dinosaur planet oh my god i gotta check that out again that's gamecube right yeah oh dude i gotta get that i can't but wait i man. played armada as well or assault Star uh -huh. Fox assault what was i think the deal with that one uh, it was the it was the gay or the Wii. Jeez, no, no, I think it was still GameCube, and it was it sort of mixed it. There was land combat and a lot more space combat. I don't think it was very loved either, but no, it it, it had enough of both worlds that I was interested. Okay, cool, cool. Um, all right, we also have so this is a weird one that I I just included it because it got re-released to much fanfare later, and at the time it was it's one of the masterpieces of the '64 is Sin and Punishment. Um, it didn't it didn't come out here. Um, and it was a Japanese-only game, and this is a really cool game. It's like a 
We played it. Didn't was it you and I who played that on the Wii on the Wii remake or no? Uh, I don't think we did, but I did play it on the Wii. Uh huh. It's cool. Well, how would you describe that game? It's very hard to describe. It's kind of like a a, a a rail shooter. Yeah, it's a rail shooter. It's from Treasure, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like a bullet hell rail rail shooter in a way. Yeah, so it, it's definitely unique, but it, it it fits that. No, you know what we played? We played we played the Wii U sequel, didn't we? The Wii Star sequel. Successor. I think that's what we Star played, Successor. Yeah. yeah, we definitely did. That was fun. Um, uh, so there's that one. Star Wars Episode One Racer was a huge deal for some reason on this system. Oh, such a fun game! Is it? Played I never played the it. Crap out of that. Um, I got it for my eighth birthday. <laughs> I specifically remember getting that, uh, and it is a blast. It's so much fun to just race around and um, uh, just 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 exist. I don't know that. It, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's a racing game, but there was something unique about it because the pod racers were cool. Especially at that age, you were like, yeah, the pod racers are cool. Yeah, I'm a pod racer fan. So so in a way, when when Lucas says, I made that that movie, especially that trilogy, but especially The Phantom Menace, like for my kids, he kind of had a point? No, certainly. I mean, again, I, don't, I never loved that movie, but I did like the pod racing. Yeah, okay, all right. So even your seven, eight-year-old self thought it was lame? I wouldn't say lame. I just don't think I had much of an opinion on movies at that point. I got it. You just uh, it was it. entertaining enough. Okay. It was really by the next one that I realized it was so bad. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Clone Wars. Or is that what it was? Clone Yeah, the Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. That's right. Okay. Um, so let's see what else I have here. Okay, so I have two big ones for me now. Um, the first one is weird. I don't know why I got into this or how. It might have been because I like Killer Instinct so much or and, and Mortal Kombat. But I was into War Gods. Do you know this game? No. So you played as, like, like Zeus and shit. And it was, like, at the very beginning it would say, War Gods. And it was just this really, like, dark and gritty, like, your gods facing off. And it was, a, it was a, a, like a Mortal Kombat, like a, like a, 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 a fighting game. It was interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was it was really pretty fun. But it had these really cool abilities and, and neat things. It's been so long since I've played it that like I scarcely fucking remember it. Let's see what it says. War gods. Let's see here. Video game. Okay. Um it's a fighting video game released in arcades first. I did play it in arcades. There was a port for sixty four and PlayStation ninety seven. There were one you were one of ten fighters given great power by a mysterious ore that crash landed. Okay, so maybe you weren't gods themselves. Let's see. Who are the characters? Um no, yeah, you weren't. Uh, there was Kabuki Joe and Sci Five and Anubis and Ahukin. Yeah, so you weren't actually Zeus and stuff. But you were these. And then there's Voodoo. But it always had this really creepy vibe to me. It freaked me out. I don't remember which character it was, but there was one character in particular that freaked, I think it was. It might have been Kabuki Joe. And when you know, you know how like you ever watch Mortal Kombat and when you were watching it back in the day, it was almost scary because it looked so real and these people were killing each other. Did you ever have that instinct? Oh, you're talking about the live-action movie, right? No, I'm talking about the... No, oh, oh the game. Yeah, the game. like Mortal Kombat 1, like in the arcade. Vaguely, or... yeah. I mean, when I was, especially that young, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I saw those dudes, I was like, oh my god, these people are killing each other, and they look like humans. This is creepy. It just really freaked me out that it broke that uncanny valley, across the uncanny valley for me. Um, anyway, War Gods was a thing. I, I, I don't remember it super well, but I know I liked it. But the one I do remember, like super super well and was definitely top three for me uh, games i played on this system to rock dinosaur hunter <laughs> dude i played the shit out of it so much so that when they did a remake for the 360 um i went to one of the events or something like that and i had a turok shirt i probably wore it around you once or twice you know with the big green turok on it do you ever see that 
I think so, yeah. yeah. But uh, but anyway, Turok Dinosaur Hunter was a masterpiece. It really was. It was a game in which it was like a first-person shooter with a great campaign where you play, I think, a Native American. It probably wasn't as racially sensitive as it should have been, but it was a really fun game. You go on this adventure, and it's basically, um, you know, uh, you're out in the wilderness fighting dinosaurs. It was badass. It was super fun. You had a bow and other guns and weapons. Um, now that I think about it, slaughtering innocent dinosaurs is kind of fucked up. But it was really, really fun. I remember that game being at least top five, if not top three. Turok Dinosaur Hunter rules. You play it? Uh, I did not. Okay. All right. Well, that was definitely a great game. You should check it out sometime if you ever have a chance. And they made a bunch of sequels that weren't very good. But that first game, man, it was good. Cool. That's good to know. Uh, and then I have two more on this list. And then I'm hoping there are a couple that, that I've left out that you wanted. Um, yeah, the... I've got a few. Good. So the first one is Wave Race 64. You play that? Okay. Uh, again, I did not play that, but I did play um, Wave Race Title or something like that. Whatever the Title Wave, yeah, Title Storm or so some... whatever it was for the yeah. C- for the GameCube. Because again, uh, when I, I it was one of the launch titles I picked up. Oh, okay, cool. I wait, I didn't. I thought oh that was a launch title. Wave. Oh no, no, no. You're talking about later. Yeah, I'm sorry. On okay. the GameCube. On the GameCube. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I never played Wave Race 64. I know it's a big deal. I just never played it. Um, it was one of those games that everybody had at their house for some reason. Like, he went over there and it's like, let me see your games, dude. And then, like, Wave Race was in there and no one ever played it, but they had it. It was one of those games. I, all I remember about it was it vaguely had crossover with 1080. Oh, Because okay. I had some of the same sports people or racers. But, oh, yeah, okay. that's a bit all, all well, I remember. That's something I definitely didn't know, so there you go. Um, the last one I have on my list here, and I don't think I played this extensively, but was Yoshi's Story. Did you play that? I did play Yoshi's Story. Um... It didn't blow me away. Yeah. I uh, remember it being as good super as... easy, right? Was that was that one? It's pretty easy. It's not as good as Yoshi's Island. They haven't really made a game as good as Yoshi's Island since Yoshi's Island, but... Yeah, Yoshi's Island was, was really solid, um, but, you know, um, I never played Yoshi's Story extensively. I remember it just being super easy and just kind of there. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, that's the end of my list. What did I leave out? Uh, so I got a few. I Well, I got about, I guess, technically seven, but only four that really... Uh, four of which are the Pokemon games that all came out on oh, the wow. system. Oh, wow, how did I miss those? Okay, let's hear it. Uh, both Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Stadium 2 were games I played a lot, where it was essentially you could battle just like on the Game Boy, but on the uh, 3D models. And, you know, it was very limited. You know, the, th- the 3DS Pokemon Sun and Moon stuff looks way better than this does now. Uh, but at the time, it was cool to see. It had very limited not story mode but tournament mode where you would fight a bunch of fighter uh trainers in succession uh you went through the, like the whole the gyms and the elite four uh, and you could upload your pokemon from uh your game boy game into the system to play on the tv so that was always cool that's super cool uh the other one this is probably my favorite nintendo 64 pokemon game uh even though it's not really a pokemon game it's just tetris attack uh, but Pokemon Puzzle League is a phenomenally fun, uh, puzzle game. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's so much fun. The way, it, it's my favorite puzzle system. It's Paneled Upon, I think, is what it's called, but Tetris Attack is what you would know it as if you, like, looked up Tetris Attack or ever played that. How does it work? Uh, you, like, switch blocks around. You, you actively, you have, like, a little cursor, and you actively have to switch them and make combos in the mass, and it's, like, rising out of the ground, and then... Oh. When the opponent makes big combos, it drops a bunch of junk blocks on top of your stack. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, and so Pokemon Puzzle League was essentially that with the Pokemon anime skin on top of it. Okay, all right. And it just was a lot of fun. In fact, it's probably my mom's favorite video game of all time. She was better at it than I was. Wow, <laughs> so that's cool. She, she loves that game. Um, Parents, and then, adults, and Tetris just just go together like chocolate and peanut butter, man. Um, the other one I've got was oh yeah, the biggest cult hit of the N sixty four in Pokemon is Pokemon Snap. Oh God, yes. People still talk. Where's another Pokemon Snap? And then Sun and Moon have like a picture mode. A lot of them have had little photo aspects, but there's never been one like that. How did that game actually play? You went on a safari, right? You were on. It was essentially yeah. You sat in this car that was on a rail. And it would take you through the level, and as you went, you could do different things. You would take photos, Pokemon would show up, you could throw different apples to lure Pokemon out, or you could knock Pokemon into things to make them evolve. And it was basically like puzzling to solve, how do I find all the Pokemon in this level and take the best photos? It, of course, also had the feature where you could take your uh, photos to Blockbuster, and they would print them out for you. Dude, and stickers. you did it? Yeah, I did it several times. Oh my god. Um, it's just such a brilliant concept and it's still, yeah, it is bizarre that they haven't at least, like, it wouldn't, it, I can't imagine it taking too much of a development team. You no. just make some courses. They already have the and, assets. Yeah, just introduce and have fun. It, it's so beloved and it's still talked about. The fact that it's still talked about, you would think would say, hey, maybe we should consider making another one. I, like I said on the last episode when we talked about takeaways from E3, I really think that the new era of Nintendo may well do that. They are the kind of company that's going to start tapping the well the way that fans want them to. I really feel like that's that's coming. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got two more. Uh, Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. Oh, wow. I've heard a lot about this game, but I never played it. What is it? It is a ninja sort of comedy platformer where it's it's got a lot of... Um, surrealist humor and anachronistic elements and you just you wander about they're based on i mean it's a it's a fairly long-running series in japan because i know there were some there was a snes game as well or, yeah. or a few back um and this was a 3d version and you'd go through and you'd play through the story and it had a lot of weird stuff there were giant robot fights um and i it, it's just a really fun time that i think uh, uh was definitely flew under a lot of people's radar okay uh, it's worth what do, checking what out. do you do it, what is the mechanic what are the game was the gameplay uh, mostly it was like platforming and, and general fighting like you would have in a third-person fighting game. Oh, okay. Uh, not fighting game. That's not right. Action game. Okay. You know, yeah. very, very early Devil May Cry-style combat. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Or kind of like not side-scrolling but similar to like Final Fight or Bad Dudes or any of that shit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, just with a lot of surprisingly fun-to-watch story elements throughout. Uh, dungeons. It was, it's just a good game. Um, and then finally, uh, I've always I love Mario Kart, but I always think uh, I think N sixty four is a oh, lot of. I know uh, where you're going. Yeah. Rare outdoing Nintendo at their own game, and mm -hmm. so I re I really loved uh, Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah, that was a great game. I didn't experience it until uh, until the the, D, the the DS version, but man, that's a great game. It does so much, and it it. It's one of those games where I'm like, man, I wish more games in this genre did this. And it, it gave a story mode, and it had challenges and boss races and a big open world you could explore when you weren't racing. And it, it just – it was so many things you don't need in a kart racer but that came together to make for a really fun kart racing experience. Word. Word. Yeah, that was a, that was a cool game. It was very unique. It had a lot of different uh, forms of transportation, which was neat. Um, 
I liked it. Yeah, I definitely liked it. Planes, jetpacks, all that. Or not jetpacks. Uh, hovercrafts. Got it. Word. All right, man. Well, that's is that it? Uh, those are all the games I can think to be worth mentioning uh, that I have any kind of connection to. Um, I know there was uh, well, Star Wars Rogue Squadron was another big one. Jet oh, Force yeah. Gemini. Right, right. That's a, a uh, rare game, right? Tony Hawk. Oh, the Bomberman 64 games. I did play a lot of Bomberman Hero and Bomberman 64. Okay. Which are very different games. Um, but I had them, and I really liked Bomberman, and I, I wish he had a franchise still. He does. I know, but he shows up for multiplayer games every few years. Oh, Aww. no, you know what? Bomberman R did come out. Yeah, the Switch game. It is literally a single-player game and a, and a multiplayer game. Well, I wouldn't mind trying that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and Mario Tennis and Golf got their start there as well. That's true. There? That's true. There were some good. There were good. Some good Nintendo sports titles on that system as well. And then all the, you know all the requisites like you know like I think there was a Tecmo Bowl on that system, and you know there was like you know the the Madden and the NFL games and all that kind of stuff. But they never oh, the... they never really worked that well on on that platform because they didn't have the the storage space to yeah. get it right. Uh, another one. Other one I did almost forget. Ogre Battle '64. You Person didn't play that. Caliber. I played a lot of that. Oh yes. wow! Because that's a game that I just left off the list because I was damn sure you never played it, and I now, never played it because it's, it's such a revered game. RTS style games, but it had like it was RTS ish, but the combat was actually in a turn based like fight in in you would go into another screen, so that's I could awesome. handle that. I really like that game as no, well. No, that game um, is considered an absolute masterpiece. Still to this day, people talk about it. And uh, I don't know, is that the one that got remade on the PSP that everyone freaks out about? That No, that's Tactics Ogre, okay. Let Us Cling Together. That's right, that's right. Um, but anyway, Ogre Battle is supposed to be really excellent, so I would love to play that one. Did that get remade at all? Uh, no, but it was on the Wii U Virtual Console. But that's in the same uh, franchise as, as Tactics Over, Ogre, no? Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. So I'm not that far off base. Word. And then uh, the last one, you know, the mo- one of the most famous games of all time, Superman 64. Oh, I didn't even bother. 64. I left that bad boy out. It's literally considered... Uh, is it the worst game of all time, or is that is that E.T.? Or, it's or is high it on the list. I think E.T. is up there instead, but it's definitely top ten. Yeah, it's it's a complete abysmal mess. Um, Spider-Man flies around the city and it's almost unplayable. Yeah. So you're right. That but is, on the whole, you know, it's a solid system. I, I, you know, coming into this episode, I wasn't trying to argue that the N64 is probably not, it's not in my top three or even top five systems of all time, but it's definitely an important system and I have fond memories of it. Definitely. Yeah. I do too. Uh, memories of playing Killer Instinct in the storage space, memories of playing Turok on my own, really enjoying that um memories of playing 1080 snowboarding so like those couple games that really made an impact on me really made an impact on me and it definitely gave birth to a lot of franchises that i still love to this day the mario party the mario paper mario um uh let's see what else on here that i really liked um i I said turok but that franchise never really went anywhere um I mean that's that's really about it. Um, oh, Banjo Kazooie, you know, was a, was a phenomenal franchise that that continued. Um, so there were some good ones. Um, for me, uh, it's definitely my least favorite Nintendo system by far. Um, I I you know I I'm not saying that the Wii U is a better system, but it's certainly I had more fun playing it. Obviously, I'm way more into gaming now. Um, the games are way more sophisticated now, but the N64 just didn't have the hits for me. That was just a system that just missed on a lot of levels for me. So it's definitely my least favorite Nintendo system if I had to pick. Um, 
but I'd say it's a close with the Wii U. Um, but, you know, I still, at the same time, there's a difference between your favorite and what is seminal and what is absolutely important. I'd say as far as important Nintendo systems, it's top two or three. Yeah, I mean, for me, it probably ranks higher somewhere in the middle of the pack. I don't even know. I think with me, Nintendo really is handheld first. Like, if you ask mm -hmm. me my favorite mm -hmm. Nintendo systems... Game Boy Advance, DS, and 3DS are probably top of the heap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, I mean, they have the biggest, they have the by far the biggest uh, uh, games libraries. Um, they they definitely have a lot of the games that are my absolute favorites. Um, they they define childhood. Um, they, I mean, with things like the Pokemon games and the Mario and Luigi games, and the I mean, I'm not even going to start trying to make a list because it's so epic. Oh sure, um, and I mean, but... really, the bigger thing is just. You know, I didn't play the NES or the SNES, so this was my first foray into a lot of these characters, and yeah. I hold it in a higher regard as a result. Even though I can, you know, mentally I know NES and SNES both have probably better libraries and are better systems overall, I just, I, ha I don't have those fond nostalgic memories. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, for me, as much as the NES was my first system and playing things like Dragon Warrior for the very first time... Um, and obviously Nintendo 3, I mean, Mario 3 was just like, I almost called it Nintendo because that's like so definitive. Um, but Mario 3 and, uh, you know, the original Final Fantasy, I mean, there's so many great games. But the Nintendo 64, it was just, I mean, for all the things that it was seminal in creating, I keep overusing that word, but it really is true. It's like the nicest thing I can say about it is how inspirational it was rather than how good it was, you know. But it, it was a huge misstep, except that it was really the, the place where Nintendo went in its own direction in the console pack. So with the Nintendo, it was almost like Nintendo was just Nintendo, and there was nothing else, really. I mean, there was Sega, but it was whatever. There was computers, but it was whatever. The The Nintendo was kind of its own thing unto itself. But, like, once the console wars began, and it was the SNES versus the Genesis, and then the N64 versus PS1 versus whatever, um, at that point, Nintendo made a big misstep with the 64 in terms of keeping up with the pack or being in the console wars. And they kind of went off in their own direction and stayed off in their own direction after that so it's kind of a left turn that they took that they kept up with um i think they went a little far left or or even i won't i won't try to murder that metaphor i mean the point is it just was a weird system it's definitely one worth worthy of praise it did a lot of great things the fact that it invented the 3d platformer and i mean that type of 3d platformer and um the 3d adventure game zelda um if it only did those two things and then packed it in that would be enough um, for it to deserve the title of, you know, one of the, you know, most important systems of all time. Unfortunately, playing it with that controller was a big problem. The graphics were a big problem because even when it first came out, like, it looked blocky because we were starting to get used to, you know, more video-looking stuff. So it was just a very a, a series of odd decisions that, that really bred some great games nonetheless. Nice. Um, all right, man. Well, dude, so it sounds like what you're going to be playing next is going to be uh, some Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, that crash and um, Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, those yeah. will probably be the big ones. Um, I'm also might get Yakuza Five or Zero soon, but I'm not sure yet. It's on sale right now. Yeah, it's on that uh, sale. So, so those are big, but those those will probably be the three games I play the most. Yeah. Well, so what is your gaming? Uh, I know you have a lot of time right now. What is your gaming schedule usually like? So do you like play 14 for like six hours a day and then switch to Kingdom for two, or how do you do no, it? No, I, I tend to play a lot of Kingdom Hearts earlier on, and then I I usually end my night with Final Fantasy. Okay. All right. Word. And um, where what are you doing right now in Final Fantasy? Give me a, dip my toe in. What are we doing? Uh, I'm still a little of everything. I'm I've got to a new zone, so I'm doing side quests there and. 
working on the story and uh, leveling up some of my other classes just because it's what I feel like doing. I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I'll log in and just like, what do I feel like doing? And I'll do that. Nice. Nice log in. Just you saying I'm going to log in and play a game is like weird to me. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> I want to play it now. Um, I think when I get paid next, I might pick up that starter pack and dive in. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah, dude. I'm. I'm. I have to pick your server and, uh, and and do some dungeons. Maybe you can. But it isn't the kind of game you can be carried through. I understand. It's not the kind of game that you can have like a Sherpa for. You got to really play it through yourself first. I mean, you got to play it through yourself. But but it's set up so that everything, particularly like dungeons and whatnot, will auto set your level to lower so that you can you 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 keep it at the right thing. Okay. Like you can't ever beat more than four or six levels over something. That's cool. That's really cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm down for that. For me, it's going to be Kingdom Hearts One. I'm ready to finish it. I can't believe I'm actually getting like to the point where I'm going to finish Kingdom Hearts One. Does it get really hard with the boss battles? Am I going to get yes. stumped? Yes. The the final few bosses are very frustrating. Uh, short of either just fully figuring out their patterns or leveling up some more, it it can get rough. Should I should I rock like mad high potions? Just drop a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah, having a lot of healing items is useful, um, but sometimes you'll get hit and kind of hit stunned, and it's it's frustrating. Oh, and it, does, and it just doesn't fucking matter what you do, because they're just going to kill you. No, it really sucks. I, I just did the Pegasus um, a Cup, where you fight Yuffie and um, yeah. Leon. Did you uh, do Leon. that? Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you beat it? Like, what level were you when you did that? Uh, I forget exact levels. Um, really, the bigger issue is uh, some of the final boss f- stuff you have to do alone, so you don't have Goofy and Donald, and that makes it even tougher. Oh, that's that's rough. Well, hopefully they. Uh, it sounds. I was about to say hopefully they moderate it, knowing that, but it sounds like they don't. Yeah. Um, so it's tough times, but it's a fun game. Awesome. Well, I, I'm gonna dive back into that. My next big game that I'm gonna play. I mean, not that Kingdom Hearts isn't big, but the next modern thing is gonna be Horizon. Uh, I have it. I own it. It's been sitting there. And when you hear Game of the Year conversations, it's between Zelda and Horizon pretty much across the board. So it's time to play it. Um, and I hear that it's just great. It's basically like Far Cry with loot and a much better story. Um, and that sounds like a win-win-win to me. So, And plus, the Frozen Wilds is coming out later. I'm looking at it on my PS4 screen right now across the room. Nice. All right, man. Well, um, you can find me uh, at RT Lafour on Twitter. Um, and at thejoyofgeek.net, and obviously you can check out thejoyofgaming.com for all of our podcasts. And cool. And how about you? Uh, you can find me at IndigoMaster on Twitter, E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R. A uh, bunch of great stuff there as far as my what I'm playing, other projects I'm doing for comics and whatnot. You can also find me jordanelsaka.tumblr.com or facebook.com slash writer. Awesome. Well, hey, on that note, man, good chat about the 64. I think we uh, we did it some justice here on the 64th episode, man. Yeah, it was a good time. Awesome. Well, um, on that note, I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseca. We'll see you soon.